Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Down low from Connor, inside near wing, shot score. It went underneath Bennington, came right back out. And the Jets score a power play goal 23 seconds in. Kairou turns it over. Shifley far wing. Look out again. Pionk shoots. Scores. It's 2-0 Winnipeg. And the turnovers in the last two minutes for the Blues have bit them. 5-2 the final tonight as the final horn sounds. And the Blues will close out the homestand on Thursday against the Arizona Coyotes. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. you got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Well... Our positivity lasted oh. all of three well, days. Well, now we got to be negative because the Blues lost the game, right, everybody? That audio courtesy of the positive. Blues Radio Network, <laughs> which is right here on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario, of course, bringing you Blues pre, post, and intermission each and every game. Alex, it wasn't a pretty one last night. I'm not going to lie to you. But more specifically, it wasn't a pretty second or third period. The Blues played really well in the first, man. They came out. They were buzzing. They were getting opportunities left and right. I didn't think it was a bad first period at all. But then, as we have seen so often this year, they can't sustain it. This is a team that cannot overcome a bad period. And in that second, they had a bad period. Couple of bad penalty kills, couple of bad penalties that put them onto the PK. You don't take advantage of your power play opportunities. Bada boom, bada bing. You lose the game five to two. I really think sometimes this thing is that simple, and that was it last night. Yeah, this this game was a, a perfect storm in my opinion because the Blues were the better team in that first period. I, I mean, it, that game should have been three to nothing, four to nothing in the first period. It's just the Blues overskated shots, whiffed on breakaways didn't put the puck in the right position and they just didn't score with empty nets. Now props to Winnipeg's defense. I mean, they jumped in front of everything, but you didn't convert on your chances. And then the life gets sucked out of you from frankly, a bad penalty. I mean, Craig Brewey talks all the time about moving your feet. That was a stick infraction where you had the tripping on Brandon sod where oh, was it a penalty? You think it oh, was yeah. Like- yeah. I mean, look, if he wouldn't have put his stick, underneath the blade probably wouldn't have been tripping but that's where it got him so that was a penalty and then when you opened up the second period Kevin Hayes get the tripping call and then the perfect storm just continues the tornado the twisters making its way through Enterprise Center you lose the face off on the penalty kill and you never get the puck back and then you lose your you lose your positioning and the next thing you know you're down by a goal you're down by two goals and you lose all the momentum And this was one of those games that you looked at and you say, okay, you take away two dumb mistakes and we're probably talking about a different outcome in this game. And 
I know people aren't going to like this. Here comes the Homer Alex that gets paid by the St. Louis Blues. But if you look at the Coyotes game, if you look at the other Winnipeg loss, if you look at the Colorado Avalanche loss, and then this Winnipeg loss, those four games, those are games that you entered a certain period down by a goal and you were within striking distance. And a bad play, whether you take a penalty. That's hockey, though. It's hockey, but it's not like this team for 60 minutes has been awful. No, I agree. And I, that's the difference because last season, 60 minutes, they were awful. You were awful. against Vancouver, but uh, other yeah, than that, like... Yeah, Vancouver was a bad game from start to finish. No doubt about it. Other than that, I, I think this team has, has been mostly competitive, but that's this is what a 500 team looks like, man. Like, they play really well for a period, and then they play really poorly for a period, and then it's somewhere in the middle, and it's about, hey, did the puck bounce your way? If it did, you win. If it didn't, you lose. That's that's who they've been all year. And the problem is they don't have the margin for error to have those really bad periods. Because you've mentioned the stat a number of times, Alex. When the Blues play hockey games, there is no lead changes. Whoever scores first, if it ends in regulation, wins the game. That's it. It's it. There's nothing else. There's no fancy numbers that we have to dive into. You can watch the game, find out who scores first, and if it ends in regulation, that team won. 100% of the time, that's been correct so far this year. The problem also for this Blues team is that two goals is an insurmountable achievement for them. Like, one goal, apparently. Well, is. one goal is, <laughs> yes. They still have not, and this curb stat still baffles me, they still have not had a lead change in a game yet this season. We're 11 games in, and if one team scores first... That's it. That game's over. Right. And that's the problem. But two goals, like one's within striking distance. They've tied the game before in games. They can't get that next goal. But two goals, two goals, the Blues just seem to be done. good enough. Like, this is why when they're going through that two-game stretch, we say, hey, this is really exciting. And if these things are sustainable, it suggests that the Blues can be better maybe than what all of us thought, what me and T-Bone thought. They can be similar to what Alex was suggesting going into the season but what they do is so up and down topsy-turvy that the results are basically a 500 hockey club and that's not bad man say, that is to a, a retool that is a significant improvement from where this team was a year ago there are reasons for optimism jordan bennington had a below average game last night it wasn't terrible but below average game last night there were a couple of goals that he let in that he would probably tell you i want that one back but that's going to happen. You have to understand that sometimes your goalie is not going to be able to stand on his head for 60 minutes the way that Bennington has for nine out of his 10 starts or whatever it is so far this year. He's been excellent for this team. You got to find other ways to win. Some nights it's going to have to be your defensive core that's coming through with just great blocked shots in your own zone. Some nights it's going to have to be your power play coming through. That hasn't happened at a, any point so far this year. Your penalty kill has got to be able to stand on its head as well. There's got to be opportunities for you to win in other ways. And so far this year, that the Blues had two games where it looked like, okay, maybe the offense can be a big reason why you're winning hockey games. But otherwise, man, the nine other games, it hasn't been that way. And last night was another one of those. You get opportunities and you're not capitalizing. Until that starts going the other direction for them, until they start getting more puck luck, this is who they are, which is a 500 hockey club. Yeah, and part of the reason they're 500 hockey club is they don't have one thing they can put their hat on and say, we are excellent at that. They, they don't have one thing. Because I think every, like you said, two games it's been, okay, the offense has been good. There's been a, a handful of games where I've said, man, the defense looks really good. Or Bennington stole the show for you. PK was good that night. But there's not one thing that this team excels at, and that's what can separate you from being a 500 hockey team. If you're going to get past that 500 mark, which we'll see if they can or not, or cannot, 
is one thing's going to have to be excellent. And last night, there was nothing that was excellent for them. It was all just kind of middle of the road. Five on five, they were great for a period, and then it just kind of dissipated, and, and it continued to dissipate. And that's the thing that keeps them stuck in this roller coaster of play right now. Alex, they have made a couple of changes at practice today. Um, not for the entirety of practice, but for some of it. According to Matthew DeFranks, who's out there covering practice for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Alexandrov is centering the fourth line today at practice. <clears throat> I'm guessing some of this is just load management yeah, for Sonny. I mean, Sonny had a Sonny had a rough night last night. He got elbowed in the head. He got thrown into the boards. He got a couple of shots off his shins. I would imagine Sonny's uh, ailing a little bit right we now. We knew coming into the season, Sonny's probably going to be closer to like 60 to 65 games than he is 82. That's not realistic for him. So uh, that makes all the sense in the world. I I would still like to see them pull Torpchenko from that third line. Well, and that's what I was thinking, like but, looking at this, like if if Sonny's not in there and the reason that Neighbors has been fine with Sonny and Blay is because that fourth line actually is playing to the level that Baruby wants them to. Like they've been very efficient, but you're breaking up that chemistry of Sonny's not in the lineup. So if that's the case, I'm going to put Neighbors up with Hayes and move Torpchenko down. I, I don't understand what they're doing with that, but I'm just... It's going to be a philosophical difference between myself and the uh, Blues. Does that and mean you're getting fired? No, but that, that line has been inc- the opposite of productive so far. Yeah. Um, it, Amen. It, if you want to look at the numbers at five on five, the Hayes and Torpchenko pairing those two when they're on the ice together at five on five, it's happened for 50 minutes so far this year. They've been outshot 36 to 24, outchanced 29 to 14, and the opposing team has 10 more high danger chances when those two are on the ice than the Blues do, 17 to 7 in favor of the opposition. It it's been horrible ideal. at five on five so far this year for those two guys when they're together. I would personally break that up. I would have neighbors on my third line, neither here nor there. The more interesting one, Alex. According to Matthew DeFranks, there have been some drills where it's been Scandella with Perunovic and Tucker with Bortuzzo. Is it time for us to finally see Perunovic in the lineup yeah. in your mind? Yeah, I, I would imagine that if you're running those pairings, it means that Perunovic is going to get into the lineup with Scandella in this next game because you need a little bit more offense. Um, it's been a while since he's played. I don't know how comfortable the Blues are with his defensive play, which might be part of the reason he hasn't been in the lineup. But right now you need offense and frankly, you need zone exits. And that was the issue last night. Like they were so smooth with those exits out of their own zone against Montreal and New Jersey, which is why the offense was so efficient last night. It was turnover after turnover after turnover. So yeah, it's time to put Perunovic in, see what he's got. And what I hope happens is you get a little bit of a running, a little bit of a runway here for him. Like they've done with Tucker, where you put him in for a game, he looks good and you let him build. Don't put him in for one and then pull him out. Put him in, let him play, and then go to the next game. And if he's playing and it's six defensemen, I would imagine you're going to see him get some power play time too. Please, just put him on the top unit. What are you missing out on? At this point, why not? Why not just throw him out there, let him quarterback the unit, take Krug off for a little bit. I, I would just pull Krug off of the unit entirely for right now. At he can get back on it. This is do- does not mean that he can no longer play for you. Yakub Brana was a healthy scratch for you for two games. Last night, he was playing for you on the top line at moments in the third period. So just because you are not going to get those reps right now does not mean long-term that's going to be the answer. But this power play unit is historically inept right now. It has one power play goal through the first 11 games of the season. Alex, I looked this up earlier today because I was thinking to myself, this has to be some kind of a record. Pretty close. In the last 45 NHL seasons, there have been two other teams 
that have gone 11 games into the year with just one power play goal. It was last year's Blue Jackets. Don't look up where they picked in the draft. Oh, they got Adam Fantilli. And the 2014 Buffalo Sabres. Don't look up where they picked in that year's draft. Uh, oh, hold on. I'm going to try and get this for you. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing top three. Second. Um, Who'd they select? I don't remember. But 2015 NHL draft, if you want to look it up, I'll feel free up. to do so. Is that Jack Eichel? That those was Jack are the Eichel. only two teams. It was. It was Eichel. Uh, <laughs> those are the only two teams in the last 45 years that have been this bad on the power play through their first 11 games. Now, the Blues are generating chances. They're not going in right now. It's time. It's time to see what Perunovic can do with them. Go ahead and see if his quick decision making, his good puck moving skills can help you out on that unit. Because right now, it almost literally cannot get any worse it's it's infuriating too because like that get the the power play last night it looked really good i mean you were basically a brendan Dillon body away from getting another power play goal and you had three shots on it Puchnevich was furious well i don't blame him and then you had a breakaway <laughs> before the end of the period that you could have tied it up and you whiffed on the puck like man i wanted to give that man a hug last night after his postgame yeah. comments but like them's the cards right you got to battle through it um the only difference with those teams and the power plays, the Buffalo Sabres in 2014-15, awful defensively. Columbus Blue Jackets, awful defensively. At least this team's not awful defensively. I don't know what that has to do with the power play. Yeah, am I supposed to it doesn't better? have to do with the power play. I'm just saying, <laughs> we don't have to act like that. If they only have one power play goal all season, they're going to be selecting second overall. No, I just it, it means that your power play sucks. Well, I mean, <laughs> I could have told you that after game three. Just like, let's not let's not sit here and act like, you know, chicken little where oh, the power play is awful and they're going to be the second worst team in the NHL. Oh, I'm not suggesting that. I'm suggesting the power play has been awful. And the other teams that have had this kind of power play unit have been deficient with talent. If you wow, are deficient with talent, true. you're picking in the top three of the of the draft. The Blues shouldn't be this deficient with talent. They shouldn't be. It shouldn't be this bad. They're just the deficient teams, on the power play. Go look at the rosters for the other two teams that were this bad. And tell me that the Blues are similar. They're not. They cannot be this bad on the power play. On, I gotta look it at that will bit. not be this bad long term, but it has been. It has been this bad so far. And the most points that that team, that uh, Blue Jackets team had was 71 and 73 points. Yeah, they're terrible. Hey, Scott Hartnell was on that team. You should have asked him about how bad that power play was. He probably wasn't on it. say the Blue Jackets? Yeah. That was last year. Oh, 14-15 with the Buffalo I Sabres. Like, I don't think he was on the no, Blue no, Jackets No, 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 yeah, year. sorry. I mixed That'd up. be pretty wild. <laughs> I mixed up my teams on that one, the Buffalo Sabres. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get oh, into gosh. some NFL quick hitters, including a Hall of Fame coach who might get fired at the end of the week, apparently, according to at least one report. We'll get into it coming up in about 15 minutes or so. If you guys want to watch the show today, you can do so on YouTube. 101 ESPN STL is where you go to find us. We are uh, on our studio cams that are powered by the Air Alliance team. Coming up next, I believe the greatest question facing the Cardinals this offseason is which lesson they actually learned from their own team in 2023. And you guys are ready for some spin rate? I'll throw it to you next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And 
ESPN, Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We'll be with you until 2 o'clock coming up at 1.30. The voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, is going to join the show. But, Alex, I want to discuss the Cardinals for just a moment because Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider right here on 101 ESPN, wrote a great piece yesterday over on The Athletic. She was able to sit down one-on-one with John Mosaloc and discuss what this team is planning to accomplish going into the offseason. Now, if you're optimistic, there was stuff in the in the piece that would absolutely leave you feeling warm and fuzzy inside. Huh. If you're pessimistic going into the offseason, there was plenty of that that would continue to make you feel pessimistic as well. I definitely saw that in the piece. I must have overlooked <laughs> yeah. the optimistic side I'd of the I'd love piece. to know where the, the optimistic fan base is right now. So... Oh, he's I, right there. Sorry, <laughs> I missed it. Hello. I didn't have my glasses on. <laughs> Here we are, I'm right here. I don't know if I believe in you. What a boring right, so. fan base. <laughs> BK just with his flag. <laughs> I love you, Mo. <laughs> so uh, I think one of the biggest questions facing the Cardinals going into this offseason, Alex, is which of the lessons they learn, not from the playoff teams, not from anybody else, from themselves. What do they believe actually went wrong with the team in 2023? Was it their lack of a number one starter? Yes. Or... Was it the lack of depth in their rotation? And which one, if you had to choose, would you lean more towards? Because that may end up being a decision that the Cardinals have to make. They may end up having to decide, okay, do we want the number one starter and skimp on the number five? Or do we go with three decent starters that we think can come in here and give us 170 plus innings next year? I'm not sure, given the budget this team is going to have enough in the coffers to be able to accomplish both of those goals. So I call this BK reads Katie Wu quote. John Mosaloc said the uh, club's extensively going to search through the free agent market, international market. They will explore trades and yes, consider internal options as well. Throughout the second half of the season, Mosaloc repeatedly stated his intention to acquire three starting pitchers from the outside of the organization. However, The Cardinals were indeed encouraged by what they saw from Zach Thompson in the starting role and to an extent what they saw from Matthew Libertor over the final two months of the season, leading the organization to consider both players as contenders, contenders for a spot in the rotation next spring. Instead of acquiring three starting pitchers, Mosaloc could elect to acquire two starters and a swingman. When asked about the biggest lesson from this past season, Mosaloc was candid in admitting that the 2023 roster did not have enough depth. That was especially true on the pitching side of things. Oh, we have a question to your uh, right, sir. Yes. Um, I'd like to go back to the, the part in where BK reads Katie Wu mm-hmm. that you mentioned. They, are, they were pleased by... The progress of Matthew Libertor towards the end of the season. Here, I can answer that one. I don't think we should set this aside. I can answer that one for you. I think we should set this aside. I can answer that one for you with just a sound effect. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> because I, I'm looking at this right now, guys, and I'm trying to find where the optimism from the Cardinals staff would be of, hey, Matthew Levator looked like he could be in the ro- in competition for the rotation. Definitely don't look at any of the analytics. Don't use the eye test. Just, I mean, <laughs> he, he was fine down. The last play, game sure. that he started was on August hey. 16th, and it was four and a third with five earned runs. Hey, hey, I thought is that he looked, more optimistic? No, I, I think the optimistic side is he looked decent coming out of the bullpen. Okay, but in the second okay half of the season, Alex, he threw 30 innings and had a 3.6 ERA. I totally understand why they were optimistic about it. 
Did you just cherry pick those numbers? He said in the second half of the season. Because I'm looking at liked what we saw. Was, was that Stars where he gave up yeah. fewer than three? I was going to say, now, was that all of his 13 bullpens? 13 appearances, three of them came as starting opportunities. <laughs> okay. And yeah, okay. 10 there we were go. coming out of yeah. the bullpen. Yeah. So. Okay. okay, so you we answered my question. To, we don't have to live right. with the semantics here. We don't so. need two relievers, we just need one. Once again, Mullis. He did have one start where he went eight innings and did not allow a run. I think you guys probably remember that. Yeah, and don't ask ne- me about the other and two. And then the next day, he did have one. And the next day, it was less than five with 10 hits. Hits and five earned runs. So I remember calling that a one-off, and it so, still stands true. So just, I just wanted to clarify. He probably should have edited that sentence that said we were very pleased by the progress of Matthew Lubertor showed as a bullpen arm. I, I do think when he's talking about depth. Now this is me being optimistic potentially. When he's talking about depth, really optimistic. He, he might be referring to Zach Thompson as a depth piece in the rotation and Matthew Libertor as a depth piece in the bullpen. No. I, I do think right now they view Matthew Libertor as a bullpen. But if you want to check that sentence again, it sounded like they talked about both in the competition for a rotation spot. Yeah, I mean, he said to an extent they were encouraged by what they saw from Matthew Libertor of the final two months of the season. This is how you be prudent and with your money. She did add. The organization would consider both players as contenders for a spot of the rotation next spring. So, I mean, you're you're not wrong. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure my follow-up questions were valid. Now, that being said, Alex, I think the way that you end up in that spot, because the Cardinals have so many different pieces on the chessboard right now. Like, they, I think they're going to be involved in everything. They are going to explore every opportunity. And everything comes back to, do you want that number one starter? Every single decision from there does. Because if you want that number one starter, guys, I'm starting to think if it becomes Yamamoto that they want as their number one starter, that is the only move they can make. Because he is almost certainly going to get 30 plus million dollars per year. And you have to pay the posting fee. And if we know anything about this Cardinals team based on the way that they account for things, and I think this is the case around Major League Baseball, but it's certainly we know it is for the Cardinals. That posting fee that will be what, 20 million dollars? It will be something they account for this year. And if they are telling everybody, hey, we've got 40 to $50 million to spend. Let's do some quick math. I think we're all capable of this. $30 million on the salary for Yamamoto. $20 million for the posting fee for Yamamoto. Carry the two. That's $50 million. There's your signing uh, allotment for this offseason. You can do nothing else. If you end up doing that, I think it requires you to trade Nolan Arenado. Let me say that one more time. If you want the Cardinals to sign Yamamoto and to continue to add depth to this rotation, I believe that based on the way that you would have to make the money work, the only way you can make that really happen, and this is all speculation, this is not me reporting anything, I'm just doing the math over here and trying to connect the dots. The only way you can reasonably expect them to accomplish both goals would be trading Nolan Arenado. Now let me add this, I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think they I don't, should. Do I don't that. either. But can I play devil's advocate and sure. don't shoot the messenger here? Is that the would that be the worst thing in the world for this Cardinals team? I believe yes, absolutely. I think getting instead of just bringing in a couple of middle tier starters and saying think, let's run it. I think it's a false choice because you don't have to have one or the other. There's a do, middle though. ground here. There's They're not spending ground. money for the top guys. They're only getting middle guys. I I, I don't I don't believe that. I don't. I think that there is a middle ground because what we're talking about is basically paying $50 million this year for Yamamoto. No other pitcher on the market costs that this offseason. Nobody. I can instead go to the quote-unquote middle ground of what we're talking about here where I'm not going all the way down to Sonny Gray and I'm not going all the way to the top with Yamamoto. 
I can go to one of Blake Snell or Aaron Nola and sign one of them for 25 to $30 million. And I've still got more money left over to add to the rest well, of my rotation. That would be prudent with your money, though. It could be. They may view it as a great signing. Because may... then you're only getting two guys in that sense. Maybe, unless you, and this is where I'm going to go ahead and give you some spin rate. And I don't think I'm spinning anything. I think we're just trying to do math on the air here, guys. We talked about this yesterday, T-Bone, you and me, uh, in our text chain while Alex was sleeping last night. Um, if what the... time was it? This was at 11, like 11, 11.30. Oh, no, I was eating dinner at that time. Okay. Why did you just, not respond to me? I just don't we're like having resp- a good conversation. I don't like responding to you guys past 9 o'clock. No, that's totally you get annoyed. You both get, get annoying after 9 o'clock. So, if the <clears throat> Cardinals want to get creative this offseason, they can. As of today, let's say they have 40 to $50 million to spend going into the offseason. If you were to either trade or non-tender Tyler O'Neill, Jake Woodford, and Dakota Hudson, that adds another $10 million to what you have to spend this offseason. So now you're up to either $50 or $60 million to be able to spend. Next year, you have $25 million currently allocated to come off of your payroll with Paul Goldschmidt. Stick with me here. That could present an opportunity for the Cardinals to do with a pitcher this offseason what they did last year with Wilson Contreras. If you look into Wilson Contreras' contract, yes, it is an $18 million per year contract. However, in year one, he only made $10 million to make the money work for them so they didn't have to pay the full allotment in year one. It bumps up to $18 million going into this season. They could do that with somebody like a Sonny Gray. So if they want to do like a three-year, $60 million deal with Sonny Gray just to make math super easy for everybody, you could do like $15 million this year, $20 million a year after that, and then 25 in the third year of that deal. That is legal. You can make it work where you have a, a lower number this upcoming season. And if you did that, now you still have like $45 million to spend on the rest of your roster. So you could spend $15 million this year for Sonny Gray, $30 million this year for Aaron Nola, and still have another $15 million for a number five starter slash bullpen additions. That is in play for the team this offseason with the amount of money that they have stated publicly now they are willing to spend. So I don't think it's completely doom or gloom for the Cardinals, even though it felt bad hearing the comments from John Mosellock yesterday. Alex, when you when I say all of that, it hits your ears how? I don't buy it. Okay. I, I, I mean, I, I understand what you're trying to do, and I understand the optimism there, but I mean, I, from recency with this team, you, you take them at their word. And I understand the, the text coming in about, oh, they said Matt Carpenter was the starting third baseman and then traded for Nolan Arenado. Yeah, because that was basically gifted on a platter to him with $50 million. And unless some ace is available and they're paying you to take them, that's not going to happen. I, I've just come to the realization which maybe I should have been here all along. I got away from it because I thought that the awful year was going to be there. They're going to see the market price for these guys and say, we can't compete with the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Giants, the Cubs, all of these teams that are going to be spending overspending. So let's just stay in the three-year market for these pitchers so that if it goes bad, we can just adjust the next year. I I think they will try and do this, and it's just going to come down, will a player be open to the idea of, Okay, I'm going to take less than what I'm worth for a year. Yeah. That's what it's going to come down to. Because I, this is something. Because you still get the same amount of money, exactly. over the same amount of years. It's just less in year until yeah. one of the teams come forward and say, "We'll give you more money for year one and two, three, four, five, and six. Well, maybe, but I, I mean, we're talking. I, I think the guy that you would do this with is the number two starter that you signed. So it may be Eduardo Rodriguez. It may be Sonny Gray. Somebody in that range of starter. I'm not talking about doing this with Aranola. If you're spending in that side of things, you have to be able to offer them what everybody else is, Alex, to your point. Because those are the guys that are just, 
They're going to get crazy amounts of money this offseason, and you have to be understanding of that. They need to go into the offseason with the acknowledgement that it's going to cost more than what they're worth. You have to go to the place where you're comfortable with and then continue going from there. Sonny Gray is the type of pitcher, though, that you could probably say, hey, listen, Sonny, we want you so badly, but we want you to be a part of a rotation that has the potential to be special. And the only way we can make that work money-wise is by moving some of your money into your two contract. You will get the same amount, but in your two and three, it's going to be a higher salary Mm -hmm. when you're older. So maybe Sonny Gray even says, you know what, that's fine. I've got no problem with that. Go ahead and get Aaron Nola so we can work together. But that's the kind of thing that you're going to have to be able to sell to somebody like Sonny Gray, Eduardo Rodriguez, one of the guys in that range. And and we see not just the Cardinals, but a lot of teams do this. And that's why like, I I think this is definitely a route. The thing that I think they're going to explore, though, is I think they're going to say, okay, let's get Gray the money that he deserves in year one, and let's go to the trade market and find somebody. Because it it does feel like they are exploring the idea of moving from a piece of the offense. I don't think it's Nolan Arnato, but Nolan Gorman seems to be the guy that is being kind of circled as, hey, what can we get for him? What can we get for a left-handed bat that can hit 30, 40 home runs? Can we go get a glass now? Because to your point, you mentioned, you know, is there an ace that will be paid, kind of put on a silver platter for you? I think the Rays may eat some of that $25 million contract, too. Like, if they eat 10... Get a better prospect. Yeah, yeah. if they eat $10 million to get a better prospect, you're now paying Glass now 15 mil. You're giving Sonny Gray, I don't know, 15 to 20 mil, depending on how you structure the contract. Well, there's $30 million, and there's your top two, one, your one-two punch for next year. Like, yeah. they can get creative, and I, I think a lot of people see it, and they just assume it's an NHL contract of, here's the AAV, it's going to stick with that. That's not the case. The Cardinals can get creative, and I'm willing to listen to that idea of they can get kind of tricky with the math because they just did it last year with Contreras. Somebody on the text line said, guys, why would they back into the contracts, though? That makes it tougher and tougher on yourself in future years. That would be the opposite of what my philosophy would be because right now you're locked into these deals. You cannot get out of the Paul Goldschmidt deal. It's not like the NFL where you can convert salary into bonus money and then for the cap situation, it allows you to put that on future years. You can't do that in baseball. All of these deals are guaranteed. So in order to make it work right now to give yourself the best chance to win in 2024, that's why you do it. And then you work around it in future years. And future money is worth less than current money. So if somebody's getting $20 million this offseason on a one-year deal, in 10 years, the exact same caliber of pitcher that hits the free agent market, he might get $35 million. Just look back 10 years ago. Go to the free agent market, look at what those guys were getting, and then compare the same equivalent this offseason and what that kind of a pitcher will get. It's a lot more money because of inflation around the league. All these prices are going up as the payrolls are going up. So that's, that's why you push it into future years is, A, to allow yourself more flexibility in 2024 and B because you're, you're expecting your payroll to continue to rise year by year as well. So this is just going to continue going up with the inflation of what your payroll is expected to be. And and the Cardinals are kind of in a spot where it is, let's worry about this year and we'll figure out three years from now. Absolutely, It's not, it's not like they are trying to win this year while also trying to say, okay, how do we have success in year three? Because they need to bounce back from a 90 loss season. This is where the difference is. Is In years past, it had been, instead of a 90-loss season, it was a 90-win season, so they can try and, okay, how do we build for this year plus three years and keep us in a winning window? Well, right now, the winning window just shut, and it shut on you quickly. Now you've got to try and reopen it by spending money and trying to get creative, and you can figure out three years from there. The entire conversation, though, comes back to a simple question. What's the lesson that they learned from this year? Was it that you need a number one starter, and that's the most important thing to acquire this offseason, or that you need depth? Because if it was the latter... Our conversations about Yamamoto, Nola, maybe even Snell, 
none of that stuff matters because they're probably going to focus on more of the mid-tier starting market. I don't think we know that yet, but it's something that we'll know based on their actions, not their words coming up this offseason. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, questions and answers, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get your questions in. But next, there's a report coming out of New England that the Patriots might fire Bill Belichick if they lose this weekend. Are we buying it? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters alongside Alex and T-Bone. I'm BK coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Robert Thomas, natural born goal scorer, huh? We'll get into that coming up here in just a little bit. Why do you but sound Alex, so surprised? Because he didn't shoot. He didn't. It's always been a natural-born shooter. He just shoot. doesn't shoot the puck. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> All right, so there's a report coming out of Boston, Alex, that Robert Kraft could move on from Bill Belichick if they lose this week in Germany against the Colts. In the report, quote, based on my conversations, I don't think it's 100% that Belichick finishes out the season. If Belichick comes home from Germany with a 2-8 and eight record, I think there's a chance that the Krafts could make the move in the bye week and install Gerard Mayo as the interim coach for the final seven games. This isn't some whacked out reporter who's just speculating on this. This is coming from Ben Volin, who's covered the team for more than a decade for the Boston Globe. Alex, you buying it? I'm buying it. I, do you leave him in Germany? <laughs> you just say, hey, Bill. Figure it out. Why don't you figure it out in Frankfurt, and we'll talk to you when you get back to the States. We'll get you a nice German Uh, Here's the thing, and I saw the report that said, you know, they'd be extremely aggressive towards signing Mike Vrabel if he becomes available this offseason. Like, that's their number one target. You have to fire Bill Belichick in this scenario. Like, it's not like it's just not working this year. It hasn't worked the last few years. You bet on Mac Jones. It was a bad bet, and you haven't been able to work your magic with this defense like you've done in the past. So I think you just need a fresh set of eyes. So yeah, I, I, I don't know how you can continue for the remainder of the season with Bill Belichick at the helm. Yeah, I, I buy this and I think it's definitely possible it happens. And I know a lot of people would say, well, he's a legacy coach. You shouldn't fire him in season. I think it's the perfect, perfect opportunity to find out what you have in Mayo because he's been a guy that's been rumored around a lot in the mm-hmm. NFL. And if you get a chance to where he's going to get the full bye week to prepare, he's going to get two weeks to get ready, and then he gets, what, the final seven games, six games yep. to figure out the year, uh, you're not going to be basing it off win-loss, but you're going to see how he does. How does he handle in-game situations? It's the perfect scenario where you can actually get an idea of what the internal candidate could look like. So, yeah, I think if they lose in Germany, I think there's a big chance that they could fire Bill and Belichick. you need to get a general manager in place going into that draft because uh, – I saw a mock, which they're just mocks right now, but the mock had the Patriots taking an offensive lineman at number five. I like you need so many more things in offensive linemen right now for that team. Also, you know, weapons on the offensive side. I mean, 
They need a quarterback. You need you need a general manager in place who's going to start this rebuild for the Patriots. Yeah, I. It seems crazy to think that Bill Belichick could be fired. Like just crazy. We're into almost year. What is this year? 23, 24 of him being in charge in New England. And it's been bad for four years now. But it's not just bad. It looks inept. It looks like they have no hope. And if you are going to move on from him at the end of the season, T-Bone's right. They absolutely should do it during the bye week because you at least find out. There's no other opportunity like this. It's why I said during the regular season for the Cardinals, why not just claim, uh, what's his face, Giolito? Why not? I mean, worst case scenario, you find out that it's not working and you do what the Angels did and you put him back on waivers and somebody else can claim him. But you might as well find out, hey, how's he click with our team? What is it like when he is pitching to Wilson Contreras? It's the only opportunity ever where you can actually find these things out. It's a unique opportunity. Cardinals punted on that. The Patriots shouldn't make the same mistake. All right, next thing up. It sure sounds like Kyler Murray is going to be starting this weekend for the Arizona Cardinals. Hell yeah, brother. Alex, he has been activated from the injured list. They are only a one and a half point underdog this week at home against the putrid Atlanta Falcons. God, I feel for you, Stoltz, man. This is a bad team, and whew, your coach is a schmuck. So true. He shaved his watching, mustache, though, so that's good. Get the ball to your best players, dude. It's well, not maybe that mustache, hard. Maybe he you. couldn't see through his mustache. Watch Mike McDaniel and what he's doing with the Dolphins, and be like, "Hey, how do I do that? Oh, I just." I throw it at the good guys, the good players. You know, Arthur Smith to... Bijan, the guy that I took in the top ten. Let's just do that. You know what Arthur Smith would say? I don't have a Tyreek Hill. I can't do it. Yeah, and I don't have a quarterback who can actually throw the Except ball. Except for the six-five, two hundred and forty-pound tight end who ran a four-four. Yeah. Throw it to that guy. But but I got Desmond Ritter. Anyway, sorry. That's on the Falcons. We're talking about the Cardinals here. Kyler Murray starting again for the Cardinals. What do you need to see from him the rest of the way if you're the Cardinals? to be determined that he is your guy moving forward you and need- to not take a quarterback in the first round. This seems awful to be the litmus test for Kyler Murray, but you need to be better than what Joshua Dobbs was this season. Like, I mean, I, I don't know how you kind of put a pulse on this because look, if I'm the Cardinals and I'm bad and I'm going to be selecting in the top, I might be taking a quarterback no matter what. But if I'm Kyler Murray and I want to keep my job, I need to prove that I'm a QB one. And I, Frankly, we haven't seen him be a QB one since the Cardinals made that playoff push a few years ago. So I know the weapons aren't great. I know the offense really isn't much there, but they made the best out of it with Josh Dobbs. So Kyler Murray better be significantly better than that. If you want to keep your job, These next three games are a real opportunity for him, man. Atlanta, Houston, which just got shredded last week by Baker Mayfield and then the LA Rams defense T-bone, you know, well aware yep. what's going on with them. Carson you, you, you should look like a top 10 quarterback in the league. That's what Kyler Murray needs to look like over the next three weeks. Now, after that, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, Philly, Seattle, that's a little bit different in terms of the tests that you're going to see. But the next three weeks, you need to put up top 10 quarterback numbers. And if you don't, I think they're probably going to move on. Yeah, and, and you got to be a difference maker for me. That, that's the biggest thing for me is, was D- Josh Dobbs a difference maker? No, he was a game manager. And if you put him on a good roster, like I think he's got decent offense in Minnesota, you're going to have some success with Josh Dobbs. They don't have a good roster, so Kyler Murray's got to show that he's a difference maker. He's got to be able to make the big-time plays while also not doing the Josh Allen and throwing the ball to the other team and turning <laughs> the football over. That's the biggest thing for me because I, when I watched Kyler, a lot of times when he was healthy, it was, okay, 
doesn't make the big he's not the biggest difference maker in the world every now and then you see it looks like a quarterback that wants to run first and, and i just don't think the cardinals can have that with him 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show questions and answers is coming up next we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn you've got questions we may have the answers maybe it's pk and ferrario's questions and answers on 101 espn Nine six four six is the air covered service text line for questions and answers. This one comes from the six three six guys. Do you think that Mizzou could finish the AP poll at the end of the year, ranked as the second best team in the SEC? Uh, probably, yeah. So, how would they do that? They would need Alabama to lose to Georgia in the SEC championship game because they'd have two losses. They would. And you would also have two losses in this scenario. You would have to win out, obviously. But you um, beat LSU. Or you lost LSU and Alabama beat LSU. Yeah. And they lose to Georgia. You lose to Georgia. Yeah, I think you'd probably have to get another loss from Bama. Yeah, along Bama the way. loses in their bowl game. They would have to lose in the SEC oh. championship game and lose in their bowl game. You're probably at that point ranked ahead of Alabama. Whether oh, you, okay. I see I what you're count, saying. I was counting yeah. after conference because yeah. I bowl games might as well not be a thing. I know, but the final eight people technically comes out after the bowl games. Okay. Take yeah. Place. So yeah, um, you'd be able to move in there. That, that would be how it has to happen. Alabama would have to win this week. That'll send Ole Miss below you most likely in the rankings because you would get a win against Tennessee. Ole Miss would get a loss against Alabama. And then the only other teams that would be ranked ahead of you at that point would be Georgia and Alabama. So yeah, that, that's what you would need. You would need Bamba to win out, lose in the SEC championship game, lose in their bowl game. You went out the rest of the way. Yeah. yeah. It'd be tight. It'd be close. I think you could still see Bama even potentially ahead of you, but that would be the way that it happens. Yeah, agreed. I Again, I was thinking end of the year, but yeah, that's how you need it to happen. You basically need to end up with just your two losses. You went out, Bama loses a game to Georgia and loses somewhere along the line, whether it be the bowl game or to whoever, whoever is left on their schedule. Uh, all right, from the 314, guys, who do you think is going to win the AFC North this year? The favorite right now is still the Ravens. Yeah, I, I don't see how anybody out out Cincinnati is. Would yeah, be my pick. do they? When do they play head to head? They have. You got two games against. Played once. Oh, they have. They played in week two. It was a 27-24 game. They play again next week. Next week on Thursday night football. Man, that sucks. I hate that they play on Thursday. I, I mean, you have to. Hey, Al Michaels deserves that. Yeah, okay, good for him. That's a fun game, but. Al Michaels deserves something like that. I mean, Baltimore's got a pretty favorable schedule the rest of the way. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, Baltimore would have to lose a couple of games down the stretch, including the They've one they play at Cincinnati. At, Cin- or at San Francisco and then Miami as well. And they still I, I mean, have I, this game against Cincy. I frankly think they're the better team in both Jacksonville and Ravens. I San agree. Francisco's the one I'd be a little concerned about. But then you're talking about wins over the Chargers, Ravens, and Steelers. And if they beat Cincinnati, I'm not sure they can catch them. Which think, is crazy that I'm saying that because I hate the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, I I think Cincinnati's still going to win the North. I, I just think they're the better football team. And they finally, week eight has rolled around and Cincinnati went, oh, wait, 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 we're supposed to start actually playing. And their quarterback's healthy too. Like, there's a big difference. They showed the numbers on the Sunday night game this past week where he had, Burrow had like 13 rushing yards in the first like seven weeks. And then he went for 48 in the first week that he was healthy. Like, when he's healthy, it's a difference maker. So I, I think Cincinnati is the better football team. I think they'll win the North. According to Vegas, for what it's worth, 
The Ravens, you have to bet 150 bucks to win 100. The Bengals are at three to one to win the division. Uh, Browns five to one, Steelers ten to one. So if you think somebody other than the Bengals or the Ravens will find a way to sneak into the top of that mix, uh, there, there's real value there. Uh, the Jets, by the way, eleven to one. If you were curious uh, to win the AFC, nobody's curious anymore, man. You lost your money, just accept it. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Guys, could you see John Mosellock pulling a deal with San Diego for Fernando Tatis Jr.? Tebow? <laughs> no. First off, I don't think San Diego will move him. Why? Maybe um, they'll pay the Cardinals $50 million money. to take him. Apparently, they're broke. Took yeah. a $50 million loan out. Did you see the story, right Tebow? I did see the story. They took the loan out to I'm, pay the Cardinals to take Tatis I, Jr. I'm still not sure if I'm supposed to read a lot into that or not read into it at all. Um, Got to get the loan to spend more money on free agents. No, I, I don't think that's a move that the Cardinals would want. And, like... We talk about guys that are characters, like Strowman, for example, and the Cardinals have no interest in Strowman. Tatis is a character, man. But the well, dad hit two grand like slams. It. Yeah, I know he did. That's great. In no. the same inning off the same but pitcher. But his son wrecked a bike, broke his wrist, and ruined the beginning of his season. Oh, and he got popped for PEDs while recovering from, I don't remember what the other injury was. Like I think it was never, that injury. Like you've never crashed so, a bicycle before. Yeah, but I'm not a pro athlete. <laughs> That's making $30 million. So, no, they would never pull All this right, Final question here from the 314. Guys, if a team offered you the same player in return, would you rather trade Arenado or Gorman? It's an interesting question. Let's say that the Mariners are calling you, and they are willing to give you Logan Gilbert. And the headliner in that package, they're willing to take on either Nolan Arenado or Nolan Gorman. Who would you rather send in that trade? Is it odd if I say this is easy for me? And I, and I love both these guys. I, would I don't send, know who you're going to say. I would send Arnado. I'm going to say on Arnado. And I think I, I would send Gorman. I would send Arnado because one, Gorman is a lot younger, and there still is that ceiling that I believe is 40 home yeah, runs. He's not a gold glover at third base. I mean, neither was Arnado this year. Okay, get the oh, hell out of here. He got get the hell out of here. But the other thing, too, yeah, is. Yeah, the I, dude who's won it like eight straight years. Well, he didn't get it this year. But I, I, would also add, I would also add this I still see the ceiling for Nolan Gorman. And, and look, there's question marks about that. I, I'm, my question mark with Arnado is, is he starting to hit the back end of that? Um, at, at, he's at the back end of his prime. He, and he is older. And I said this at the end of the year, and it was not a popular opinion. It's still not a popular opinion. Two of the three years that he has been here have not been the Arnado that I think the Cardinals were expecting offensively. And they, de- they definitely was not the defensive player they thought they were getting this year, but he was injured. It makes sense. This year was for, bad. For me? Year one, I think we overstated how bad he was. He ended up kind of getting back on track. And it was the first year on a new team. 30 and 100. Like, it was, it was a, this year, offensively was a disappointment, and defensively was just horrible for the first two months of the season. For me, it's Arnato. And I stand by that. How concerning is his back? I don't know. That's my Both, p- for both of them. I, you could have asked the question and not clarified. Yeah, but at I least said, I don't know. But at least I've seen Arenado power through it. Like Nolan Gorman, I haven't seen him power through it as a 33 year old. And that's what we have to ask ourselves: Is okay, what is Nolan Arenado going to be for the next three seasons? What is Nolan Gorman going to be for the next three seasons? Which of those is more valuable? I don't know. It's my honest answer. You I guys, don't know. You guys remember the last? And like, is it 30 million dollars better? Is Nolan Arenado better than Logan Gilbert? Nolan Gorman and another $25 million in flexibility this offseason. See what I'm saying? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, like, in that scenario, keep all I heard you was walking a tightrope and not answering the question. No, 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 no. That makes sense I because to send it. I get a lot more money and flexibility of making my team more elite. But my only counter to that is 
Guys, remember the, the the five years leading up to trading for Nolan Arenado? Uh, exactly. You want to live that life again? You want to live the Matt Carpenter you, at third base but, again? To, to be but, fair, you didn't have Nolan Gorman. Exactly. I don't know how Nolan Gorman or, is at third base, though. I think he's been saw it. I think he'd be passable. Yeah, well, we've been passable before, and it's been rough. Carpenter was not passable. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't he was passable to, to the level that I would imagine Gorman's going to be. Gorman's yeah. got a great arm. Yeah. A great arm. This is back going to hold up. I don't know. With that arm. I don't know. But I, you, you also have other options if anything were to take place where mm-hmm. you can move guys over there. Like, if you ended up needing to play Mason Wynn at third and Tommy Edmond at shortstop, you probably could. It's not ideal. Here's the other, but th- here's the other thing, too. That. You're only moving Arenado to one place. Because he gets to say of where he's going. The Dodgers. Yeah. Would so you, you're only would you trade him. Nolan Arenado for Bobby Miller. I would not. I would no. I wouldn't. If you're going to do something like this, I think you need an established yeah. stud major league starter, and mm-hmm. the guy that you would probably pinpoint for that would be Seattle. And I don't know that he would accept a trade yeah. to Seattle. So that's so. why, and that's the other factor in all. I don't of this. think this is an option for the Cardinals, but it's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. I like that from the text line. Good job. Good job, text line. I think it's terrible. Coming up in 15 minutes, you give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely in a game that we play each and every week called More Likely to Happen. But coming up next, Alex, I was told that Robert Thomas was a passer, a distributor. Now he's a goal scorer. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. for it. Thomas picks it up. Thomas shoots, score! There's the answer, Joe. Robert Thomas, team leading fifth of the year. 2-1 score, 3.05 to go, period number one. All right, Robert Thomas, that's what it sounded like right here on your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN last night. Chris Kerber on the call. He'll join us coming up at 1.30, and I want to ask him, Alex, about what we're seeing from Robert Thomas, who is officially on goal watch. He has scored in four straight games. He now is five on the season in the first 11 games of the year. If you look at that pace, now it's so early in the season, it's hard to talk about. Like He's on pace for X, Y, and Z. He's on pace right now for 37 goals. Woohoo! The biggest change for Robert Thomas is very simple, and it's something that, Alex, we've been talking about for years, and it's not exclusive to the two of us, the three of us. It's every Blues fan that watches the game with their brother, mother, and uh, stepchild is saying, Shoot it! Shoot the puck, Robert! And he didn't do it for the first, whatever, four years of his NHL career. And suddenly he is. He's up to 22 shots, Alex, in the first 11 games of the year. That, again, is an on-pace number of 165 shots at the end of the year. For context, he had 220 shots on goal combined over the last two full seasons. So he's on pace to nearly approach that number just this year. He's doubling up the number of shots that he's taking on a per-game basis. The shot has always been there. It's a matter of actually getting it off of his stick. Alex, if he ends up being a legit 30-goal scorer this year, if that pace continues trending in this direction, what does it mean for the future of Robert Thomas here in St. Louis and how we view him? I mean, you've got another potential 100-point player. Like, I'm just looking at this. I mean, you're talking about Robert Thomas right now is somebody who's going to give you somewhere between 45 and 60 assists. Mm -hmm. And if we're talking about 35 goals, 37 goals, Well, welcome to being the 100-point player that we predicted with him. So, once again, like we talked earlier this week about Jordan Kyrou entering that star conversation, if Robert Thomas becomes the 100-point player, then we're talking about another star. So, it's great for the Blues. This is the development that you needed to see from a 24-year-old. If you hit 100 points at 24 years old, 
I mean, we're still talking about three years before you're even in your prime. And then Jordan Cairo, somebody who could get on to 40 goals. So this is good. Great. The problem for me is, are you doing it together? And I don't know if that's a, as big of a problem for other people, because look, if you got a 100 point sentiment on a line and then a 100 point player on another line, that's depth. And that makes your team dangerous. But I'm concerned that Cairo and Thomas can't get those 100 points unless they're playing together. Now, you've got some really good numbers for Robert Thomas, but what do they look like if they're always on separate lines together? Like, that's my concern. I, I still feel like you have to have a dominant line for this Blues team to kind of take that next step. And right now, as we've talked about, you just don't have you don't have the top six that's dominant enough to be there. So it's great if you have a 100-point player, but I also feel like you need a little bit more sure thing at the top of your lineup. I think we have the same conclusion and different reasons for it. The conclusion is the Blues need Robert Thomas to have somebody else on his wing that is a legit threat as a goal scorer. Now, that could be Pavel Buchnevich. He's a guy that has scored 30 goals here with the Blues. He's off to a really tough start, and he's in his own head at this point. We heard that from him last night. How many of the Blues' current top six players, Alex, do you think would be top six players on championship contenders? Can we go through this real quick together? Sure. Pavel Buchnevich. I would say so. Yeah, I agree. Robert Thomas. I would say so. Jordan Kyra. I would say so. Kasperi Kapanen? No. Braden Shen? No. Brandon Sod. No. There's your top six. Yep. Your problem right now is not so much about Thomas or Kyra. Bring or up Jakub Verana. There's a reason for that. He's not on it. It's not about them. It's about the guys that are playing with them right now. You have a personnel problem, and this is what it should look like during the middle of a retool. A retool versus a rebuild is, I think, why we all believe that it's still in the retool process is because you have Buchnevich, you have Thomas, you have Kairou. Those are guys that for contending teams should be in your top six. They make sense there. Rebuilding teams don't have those guys. Rebuilding teams have year one Robert Thomas, year one Jordan Kairou, and you're hoping that by this point in their careers, they have become the players that they are right now for the St. Louis Blues. But you got to wait like three or four years to get to this the Blues have skipped that part of the process. They're here. The next thing that you got to do is f- fill in those holes next to him. You hope that Jimmy Snuggerud can be one of those guys. Maybe he's the guy that replaces Kasperi Kapanen next year and becomes a 20-plus goal scorer on the wing for Robert Thomas. You hope Dalibor Dvorsky can become the player that replaces Braden Shin as that second-line center, as a defensively responsible centerman who can get Jordan Kyrou the puck in the areas that he needs to get it. And then you hope whoever it is that you draft this year in the first round can maybe be that other left winger. That's along with Dvorsky and Jordan Kyra. Or maybe you don't end up resigning Pavel Buchnevich. You either trade him or you go sign somebody. Maybe William Nylander is one of the other guys that's in that top six for you. Whatever the case may be, you have three top six players right now in your top six that should be up there for a championship contender. I think that's really the lesson to be learned here is I don't care if Kyrou long-term does it with Thomas or not, but if he's not going to, you need to find somebody who will. Well, and that's why I, I I would love it if those two were together and you had somebody else on that same level because watching last night, Winnipeg Jets won that game solely from having Mark Shifley, Alex Iafalo, and Kyle Connor. Like, they, they played with their food in that game. I mean, they were passing all over the place. They had, what, nine points in that game. That's what... That's what some of those great teams have. Nathan McKinnon and Miko Ranson, and you have dominant top lines... But if you spread the wealth, that's just as good. This is the same argument I used for Kairu being the star player. Like, you put up 200 points in 226 games playing with who? 
Robert Thomas is potentially, if you're a 30-goal scorer with 60 to 70 assists, you're doing that with Kapanen and Buchnevich in your top line and Brandon Saad playing up there. Again, no disrespect to those guys, but that's impressive. That's how you take that step up from the retool into the next era, but you really do need to solidify that top six. And right now, I mean, they're sticking with the same lines that they had last night against Winnipeg, and I applaud them for doing that because it didn't look good, and you're trying to get back what you had versus Montreal and New Jersey. Those guys, you need to take that next step, but you also need everyone else on that line to start clicking because you're not going anywhere if only two players get 100 points. You need other players to support that. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, what would the reaction be here in St. Louis if John Mozeliak gave a similar press conference to what we heard yesterday from Brian Cashman? If you haven't heard these quotes, we'll play some for you coming up here in just a little bit. They're wild, to say the least. We'll get into that coming up in a little bit. More likely to happen is next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. Let's start out with this boys more likely to happen. The Cardinals end up signing a number one starter that people are excited about, or they sign a third best starter that people are excited about. So they end up getting wow, the guy to lead the rotation that you're excited about, or they get the guy that will be filling out the back end of the rotation that you're excited about. Legitimately excited about. I think Brian Wu would fit into that category. I think some of the young upside players around the league could, could probably fit into that criteria. Yeah, I'm going to go with that one. I can see the Cardinals finding a way to, to make that move and try and sell that to people saying, but look how exciting this is if we've got TK Roby and Tim Kentz and McGreevy, and we just acquired this guy who could be a starter. You didn't even mention Graceffo. Yeah, well. You got to add him into that mix too. There's a reason. I think it is more likely it would be you'd be more excited about the number one starter just because I'm not sure there's a number five that's going to be brought in that everybody looks at and goes, oh, yeah, I'm glad they brought this guy in as the five. And if they did, man, their offseason sucked. Like, <laughs> I, I say they need a fifth starter, but I say that going, I should see the signing pop across my phone on my screen and go, oh, that's not bad. I shouldn't go, whoa, yes, that shouldn't be a thing. I think people in general are overstating the importance of a number five starter. I know that that's going to be something that is met with a lot of criticism among the text line, but guys, just go look at who made the fifth most starts on every team in Major League Baseball this year, and you tell me how much that mattered. You tell me if it was a guy that if you plugged him into your number five spot into the rotation next last year, it would have been a significant upgrade from what you ended up getting out of Thompson slash Mats. The truth is the, those guys should give you like 100 innings, and you should have like two or three of them that are mixing in there. Somebody like a Graceffo should probably get some starts for the Cardinals next year. Thompson should absolutely get starts for the Cardinals next year. And then maybe it's a Nick Martinez, Seth Lugo, whoever, right? That other guy will fit into the mix as well for 10 or 15 starts. All of those guys combined are fine. Nothing more, nothing less. That is not what will make or break your, your season going into next year. So I think it's more likely that they end up getting excited about the number one starter. I, I still believe... I am holding out hope over here, boys. 
one of those big time starters will be a Cardinal mm-hmm. by off seasons and we'll be able to cry after the winter meetings and that doesn't happen uh, more likely to happen Scott Perunovic or Yakub Verana end the season with Scott Perunovic ends the season with more power play points or Yakub Verana does uh, this is tough because I think there's a chance that Yakub Verana doesn't finish the season on the Cardinals and I don't know how many I, opportunities it'd be impossible Scott for him to finish with the Cardinals I bet he's not a Cardinal either by the end yeah, of the year I could guarantee you that uh, Jeremy Rutherford just tweeted out by the way Good possibility that Perunovic ends up in the lineup against the Coyotes. Quote, good chance, Berube said. We'll see what he can do. One of his strengths is the power play and puck play. We need that right now. Amen, Craig. Hallelujah. Amen, Craig. Hallelujah. 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 It's about time, man. All right, but he's going to be on the second power play unit, so we'll only get like (laughs) 30-second shifts out there. (laughs) Baby steps, man. Baby steps. Is he actually going to be the quarterback this time around? On the second power play unit? Yeah, probably. Last time, remember, he was playing like off off to the side. I think that's Falk that was a quarterback. Mm -hmm. Guess we'll have to wait to find out. I'll say more likely Pernovich. I'll go Pernovich, by the way. That would be my answer. Because I'm losing faith in Verona being here in a year, too. I think if Pernovich can, like, Get a little hot on that power play, at least get some ice time. You could see him move to that number one unit. It's just a matter of getting him some reps right now. The problem is, if you're Please. on the second unit, you're only getting like 30 second reps out there. Tibon? More likely going into the 2023 season. Zach Thompson starts as the number five starter, or Matthew Libertor starts as a high level reliever? Thompson. Oh, Thompson. I think there's a real chance Thompson opens the season as a number five starter, and I don't think Cardinals fans should freak out if that ends up being I'd the case. I'd say freak out. Like, I think there's a real chance well, Libertor could start the season as a number five starter, and I don't think, well, yes, Cardinals fans should freak out on that one. Yeah, that shouldn't happen. Uh, one of the reasons why I think that it's not a big deal is because it's possible they sign a guy that's injured early on in the season. I know people, you hear the name Tyler Malley, and you don't think to yourself, man, that's a difference maker. Man, when Tyler Malley is healthy, he's not all that dissimilar from what you're expecting next year out of Sonny Gray. And you might end up being able to sign Tyler Malley for a $10 million contract. He also might not help you until midway through the year. If you can get 10 fine starts early on next year out of Zach Thompson, and then by the time that Tyler Malley returns, either Thompson has played his way into the rotation long-term or out of it, or you've got another injury, fine. So I I think it's absolutely in play that Thompson ends up as your number five starter next year. And I, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. I, I think he's fine, honestly. I know people hate that, but I, I think it's fine. But it requires you to go big on your one and two. You've got to be really good there. I'm not sure they were terrible. I actually would lean more likely. I don't know if high leverage is the right word. I probably should have said like sixth inning, kind of that middle relief corp that they probably should add to. Yeah. I think it's more likely that they could throw Libertor into that role because I think they will try and sign a swing man, Martinez, Lugo, have him start as the five, and you get Thompson as depth. I, I, I think there's going to be one spot. We all agree they've got five needs this offseason, right? All five happen to be pitching. Three starters. Slash a swing man yep. and two bullpen arms. I agree. I can see where they go short on one of those and don't bring in one bullpen arm and they go, yeah, we liked what we saw from Libertor out of the pin. We think we I can think it use would be him a as a bigger mistake to go short on the bullpen than it would to not get that third starter. I think I agree, Personally. but I can understand it because there's a ton of bullpen arms always available at the deadline. And yeah, I guess it's true about there. the starters. You got to get there. And somebody's going to get hurt. Like you're going to be, right now, you're already light in the bullpen. And the first moment that you lose somebody, now you're looking around saying, oh God, we have nobody to replace them. And if you only get one dude that can actually fit capably into your bullpen this offseason, I think it's a mistake. I think it's a huge mistake. So I would, if you have to make a decision this offseason of going out and getting a new fifth starter or getting a guy who can really help you in the bullpen, I would lean towards the bullpen side of things because I think it's a bigger need. 
Thompson has been a capable number five starter when given the opportunity here. I would rather have that than have somebody that I have no idea if they're actually capable of being a, a leverage arm in the bullpen. Just be given that opportunity to start up. I, I would agree with that. My fears are going to go with both. Wilking, well, maybe. Oh, yeah. Um, Wilking Rodriguez. I, He'll be the difference maker. I'm, I'm very fearful that they're going to go, you know what? We brought in Rodriguez last year as a high leverage arm. We just, it was bad luck. You know, he dealt with injuries. Heard this that year, before. This year's his year. 314-399-9646 is the air covered service text line. We'll get to a couple more of these for more likely to happen. Guys, more likely to happen. The Cardinals trade Goldie or Arenado this offseason. Let's assume that both are low probabilities, but more likely to be traded this offseason. Goldie or Arenado? I'd say it's more likely. Oh, man. You have the position, I think, for first base with Jordan Walker that that makes sense. But the other side has been verbally frustrated with the team. So I'll say it's more likely Nolan Arenado. I agree. They got Gorman. He'll play there. You got a guy who's frustrated. The problem with that, well, I guess Goldie decides where he goes, too. So, yeah, I'll say Arenado. I would say Arenado, too. And I, I think it is, one, it is easier to say we have a guy that can fill that spot. They can just push Gorman to third. They can move Edmund in from center and play second or have Donovan so play money. second. That too. And with Goldschmidt, as much as like I like Alec Burleson at first base, you don't have a natural first baseman on the roster. I mean, Baker, but he ain't, he ain't the guy. Yeah. He ain't so, it. He ain't it. So I, I I think it definitely would be Arnado. And you're right, Alex. I mean, who's been more outspoken of? And I don't... It's He's frustration, fr- but it's not like... It's frustration this with is front awful. Office. This is the worst thing yeah. ever. It's not like James Harden frustration, no. but it's, it's it's definitely been frustration and Goldschmidt's not shown that at least publicly. It's frustration with the front office because he was promised something that they have not delivered. That's where it's come from. And, and I don't blame him. I don't blame him at all. Final one here. More likely to reach the Super Bowl this season, boys. The Miami Dolphins or the Detroit Lions? I'll say Detroit Lions. I think they've got more of a complete team when healthy than Miami does. Miami's got deficiencies on their defensive side where I think Detroit can can hang with the best. I also think the NFC is just weaker than the AFC. There's more potential pitfalls for yeah. the Dolphins. The Dolphins could lose in the playoffs to the Ravens, the Bengals, the Jaguars, or the uh, Chiefs, and it wouldn't surprise me. I think the only two two teams, maybe you could argue three, that really concern me for the Lions are the Eagles and the 49ers, and then maybe you could argue the Cowboys. And in the playoff games, I, I'm not super worried about the Cowboys because Mike McCarthy's their head coach. So and Dak I just Prescott's think there's quarterback. more potential outs for the Lions. So I'll go to the Lions. And I think they might end up with the best record in the NFC because their division's terrible. So yeah. that means one fewer game. And their schedule is pretty easy down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Man, this is tough because neither one of these teams, when they've had the opportunity to play a good team, have kind of laid an egg. And I know the Lions beat Kansas City early on. That was more the wide receivers just can't catch. Yeah. Um I think I agree Lions just because the NFC is so weak. I I don't know if I trust Goff, and I and I and I know you'd say, well, do you trust Tua more than Goff? I they've got a lot of playmakers there in Miami, and I like the offense that they run. To where I could see where Goff has a bad game and cost the Lions, but I think it's because the conference is weaker, I'll take them. Alongside Alex and T Bone, I'm BK. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But next, what would the reaction be in St. Louis if John Mosaylock gave a press conference? similar to what we saw yesterday from Brian Cashman. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
it was awful. I mean, we we accomplished nothing. We we didn't win a division, didn't make it to the playoffs, didn't win a series in the playoffs, much less a championship. Uh, you know, I, I went over the winning record. That's a requirement as far as I'm concerned. So the fans uh, didn't get anywhere close to what they deserve. But, you know, we're all very passionate about this. We're, we're working our ass off. And, um, you know, we're going to do everything we can to right the ship for 2024. That is what the owner sounded like in New York yesterday for the Yankees after winning 82 games this season. Alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK, the Yankees are furious. And they want everybody to know we are not happy with what happened last year. And we don't appreciate all of your criticism either. We're going to get this thing back on track. By bunting more. We'll get to that. So. They are making it very clear what happened was unacceptable, and we are going to go out there and make the necessary moves to change things. Now, they won't tell anybody that asks how they're going to do that, what has actually changed, or if it will actually change. But they're letting you know, hey, we're going to get this back on track. Just trust us. Hal Steinbrenner said everything that you would want to hear right there as a fan. Alex, I do wonder, and 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. When John Mosellock speaks in these situations... I'd say 95% of the time, fans feel worse afterwards. <laughs> they just, they hear what he has to I'm say. I'm surprised you gave that was the optimistic side, giving them 5% where they weren't yeah. frustrated. I'd say 0.5%. You hear what he has to say, and you're like, you know what? I felt better before you spoke, actually. And so that's part of the reason why I don't really blame the Cardinals for not having an end-of-season press conference, because there was no way that was going to end well for them. It just wasn't. <laughs> Brian Cashman is a little different. He has not said things publicly like this. In my experience, hearing these kinds of things from him in his entire career up in New York. But yesterday, he had had enough. Alex, I wonder how Cardinals fans would feel if their president of baseball operations had this kind of a press conference. We got good people. I'm proud of our people, and I'm I'm proud of our process. Doesn't mean we're firing on all cylinders. Doesn't mean we're the best in class. But I think we're pretty good, personally. And uh, I'm proud of our people, and I'm also looking forward to 24 being a better year than 23. All right, Brian, the F word wasn't necessary there, but way to go. He then continued, and these are a couple of quotes from a one-hour media availability that was public. This wasn't behind closed doors. This was public. This was on television cameras. Brian Cashman continues when asked about the, uh, the Yankees being, quote, driven by analytics, end quote. Oh, boy, Cardinals fans, I wonder how you feel about this if most of it. People talk about we're analytically driven, right? <laughs> Do you know where the sec? We have the smallest analytics department in the American League East. Is that a shocker to you guys? We have the largest pro scouting department in all of baseball. Is that a shocker to you to everybody? Shouldn't be, but no one's doing their deep dives. They're just throwing ammunition and and and, and bullshit, accusing us of being run analytically. Analytics is an important. <laughs> I couldn't be in this scrum. I'd be laughing every time. <laughs> While he's saying it, just to give people the visual, if you haven't seen it, he's like circling while he's talking to make sure everybody can hear. I wish he didn't have sunglasses on so I could just see the glare when he says it, too. <laughs> we have the we have the worst analytical department in baseball. Is that surprising anybody? Brian, is Smallest, that su- not worse. Brian, is that, okay, same thing. Is that supposed to be good? Like, are you are you I, trying to pump? Up I guess this it tank? depends on your intended audience. I think for some, yeah. If most of that here, people would be like, "Hell yeah, John Mozeliak!" You know the video <laughs> that everybody puts out of the the guys, or the people that are in the uh, 
the bar in New York where a goal is scored and then everybody just oh, goes throwing. crazy. There's beer flying everywhere. That would have been the response here in St. Louis if Mo says, hey, we got the smallest analytical department in the NL Central. Wow! You guys know that? Did you guys hear that? How you like me I, now? Hell yeah, I, have, Mo. I actually think Cardinal fans might go, you lie. I don't believe you. <laughs> By the way, they have the second smallest analytical department in the Cardinals in the are the AL smallest. East. No, the the Yankees. Oh, the Orioles Who's have the smaller. Oh, that makes sense. Department. Oh, well, look Yankees. at us go then. I got this weird tick though. When people cuss in anger, I, I kind of laugh. <laughs> kind of a kind of a weird flex there, Brian. Yeah. Way to go, Brian. How do you think Cardinals fans would feel like there again? That was two minutes out of his sixty-minute press conference. So it was a lot of stuff that kind of went similar to that. A lot of cussing, a lot of frustration, a lot of lashing out in all directions, letting everybody know, hey, we're not bad at this, even though the last couple of years have not gone according to plan. How do you think Cardinals fans would feel if that's the kind of tone that John Mosellock was taking? Oh, man. I, I mean, I think Cardinals fans... No, I think they'd love it because it's ammunition. They're seeing John Mosellock break. I, I think the, the main thing people, at least from my understanding, people hate about Mo is that he's always so buttoned up and he's always so confident when things are bad. And, and typically when you have somebody who's unloading like this, especially when they're dropping F-bombs and pointing at people and circling, you know that they've officially broken. And when that person's officially broken, a fan base that basically sees it now that's the ammunition that they're looking for to be like, good, move on from Mo. Because once that person breaks, then it's very obvious the organization is in shambles. I remember, because I was part of it, um, a moment where I think the fan base officially was like, oh, that's the manager we wanted. Oh, I remember that too. It was that's a great night for me. I was on the Zoom. I'm like, this is awesome. Do you guys awesome. remember the aw shucks version of, of Mike Schilt? The scratch and claw version of Mike Schiltz. How could I forget it? I every, did not every post like it. Mike Schiltz for a while. And it was because he never showed emotion in his press conferences. Now, that didn't mean that behind the scenes, he was this guy that was just, oh, shucks. Oh, we'll get him next time, guys. That's not who he was. We're we saw with here. the video that was taken by Randy Rosarena that ended up getting Randy Rosarena yeah. shipped out of town. Way to go, Randy. <laughs> that dude had some red ass to him, to say the least. And we saw it come out, and I was on the other end of it in a press conference, and people were like, oh, I want more of that. And I agree. I think that stuff is good for fans to see because it shows you the actual version of these people. I think that's who Brian Cashman is, man. When he's talking amongst his staff, I think that's how he talks. I think that we all know when some of these guys are behind the scenes and they're all talking, that's what it sounds like when baseball people are just talking about their team. But when they get in front of cameras, they put on this prim and proper type of a persona and then suddenly it becomes something entirely different. And so fans have this different perception of what the people are that are running their baseball operations or their baseball teams as managers. And I think it's bad for the people that are running the teams because they think they have to talk and act a certain way. Man, just give fans what they give it to them straight. If you do that, they're going to be much more receptive to whatever it is that your message is. Like, I think Mo, if you get him off of the record, speaks a little differently than what he's saying on the record. I think when Ollie is off the record, sometimes he speaks a little differently than what you're seeing when he's front in front of a, a camera. And when he finally spilled over into saying the things on camera that he says behind the scenes, people crushed him because he criticized a player for not giving full effort. It's like, man, that's, that's who he is. He's having those conversations with the players behind the scenes. So 
I loved this from Cashman yesterday because you finally saw a genuine, authentic version of who it is that is running the New York Yankees. I want to see more of that from the people that are running the Cardinals. Not because I don't think they're capable of it, because I think that's who they are, and I wish we would see more of it in person. The reason you're buttoned up so much, though, is because of the reaction to Brian Cashman. It's the same thing that happened with Brady Kachuk at the Ottawa Senators. Like, what he said was absolutely correct, and he basically said, like, I don't know what the fan base's problem is. We're working hard. But the backlash of that is, oh, you're blaming the fan base. We're the ones that pay... That's not the problem here. Like, you want honesty. Everybody wants honesty in life. And why wouldn't you when you're so passionate about something like this to where the fire's coming out, the honesty's coming out, and you move forward with it rather than get frustrated with it and be like, no, I want you to be ultra positive and say that this team's going to be good. See, I don't know if the fan base would have reacted well to the Cashman, the Cashman pressure yesterday if that was Mo, because... First off, he didn't, like you said earlier, he didn't answer. He didn't really give you the truth. It was tone more than it was message. The message was the same stuff that you hear from Mo. The difference is the way that he said it. Yeah, It was basically, oh, you guys are being too tough on us. That's what it was. It was the fiery version of it. There was no, like, here's how we're going to fix this, and this is how we're going to effing get it done. No, that didn't happen yesterday. In fact, I think the fan base, if that was Mo doing that, their reaction would have been, well, there's some fire. Why don't you take that and show some action? I think that's what the reaction would have been on the fan base. That's that's the thing that frustrates me about this time of the year is like I, I, I hear that all the time from fans. and It's like the action is literally not legal yet. You can't sign guys. Like you can't. Sonny Gray still has to decline his tender option from the Minnesota Twins before he can sign anywhere. Yamamoto was not even yet officially posted. So they can't I, I'm go not, show I'm you I'm not meaning in a, like, right then and there at the GM meetings, get a deal done. I think it would be still pent up, for, um, not aggression, but pent up anger from the fan base of, well, if this is the fiery sure, version of all, he's never shown fire. Show you. Maybe, but I mean. We don't know. Like, I, I, I hear what you're going to say. We don't know yet. And if they don't, then the anger is totally justified. But, Alex, I'm, I'm sure you've been in this spot before where uh, somebody that you know and love Maybe gets frustrated about a thing that may or may not happen in the future. My feels reaction like pers- to that a lot of it huh? feels like a personal attack on me, but that's okay. Well, I, I was referencing like we we live with others in our homes where oh. sometimes there can be frustration that is about a future situation that has not taken place yet, may or may not take place. But depending on how it ends up going in the future, we're already pre-mad about oh, yeah. that situation. Oh, yeah. So many dreams I've gotten in trouble for. <laughs> exactly. That's kind of what this is. Like, we don't know how the offseason is going to play out yet. And so if you're mad at them for past transgressions, I totally understand it. That's more than reasonable. But getting mad at them for what you think they may or may not do this offseason Feels like projecting. Yeah, but I can't keep doing that every offseason to where, oh, well, I can't get mad at him for past offseasons. When they say this, we got to wait to see what happens. But we do. But then it happens. And then I go into the next offseason mad. And then somebody says, well, you can't get mad at him about what they said. Don't you? Yeah, it's the Charlie Brown football. Like, Like, I'm not going to kick it anymore. I, I mean, they have never had a season like this. And right, so the, and the the president of baseball operations is still saying we need to be prudent about our decisions. I, I think that word has gotten people under people's skin so much. Yeah, it pisses me off. The Cardinals should be prudent about their decision making this offseason. I'm going to go ahead and say the well, thing the last, that nobody wants to hear. Well, the last few years you've you been prudent about your decisions, you've been a mediocre team. Absolutely, and if they continue to be a mediocre team this offseason, if they don't go make the necessary changes, we should be critical of them. 
they are reacting this offseason to something they have never had to react to. The last time there was anything approaching this was 2007. Everybody got fired, but they're treating, but they're treating <laughs> they completely it completely overturned the front office. So that way they could head into, into a new direction, which was more analytically based, by the way. And then eventually we saw there was a lot of success that came out. But of they're that treating decision. it the same way as they would where they get bounced in a wild card game. We don't know that they're, they're saying the same it, thing. It's the same messaging. And the other thing that's frustrating, and I kind of understand the side that Alex is coming from here <clears> is <throat> they were saying the right things at the end of the year. It was, we need three starting pitchers. We know we need pitching, pitching, pitching. And now, after all the comments that have come out of the GM meetings, it feels like backtracking again. It feels like the same thing at last year where it was, well, Pedro's going to go up. Ah, but oh, wait a minute. Uh, it, didn't, it did go up, but there but was a caveat up, there. But the thing that I get frustrated about here is, okay, so they don't end up getting the third starter. That That is something that, let's go down this hypothetical scenario where that happens. But they signed Snell and Nola. You still mad? Still mad at him? I don't think anybody is. No, and if you prove me wrong that what you're saying is not actually going to happen. But that's one of the scenarios that he was discussing. When he said we might not end up getting the third starter, he was talking about there are scenarios in which it makes sense for us to not add that third starter. And in those scenarios, it may be a Zach Thompson that has to step up. Great. Yeah, one of those scenarios would be they go big on the top two guys. Now, if they don't, if they end up adding... Sonny Gray and they trade for Brian Wu and that's their answer to the rotation and then they try to sell you on Zach Thompson as the third starter that, that's going to be their number five starter. Yeah, like that's abysmal. But, that's embarrassing. But they that's can't do that. the offseason that has happened year after year after year and until you show me that you're going to have a different offseason, I'm not going to buy your crap yeah. anymore. And I, I think it's totally justified to be angry and project. I, I really do. It's justified to be angry about them being bad. It's not justified to be angry about what they may or may not do this offseason, before they can even go out and do anything. I think that's unfair. I, I don't know how you take off be- the motai. I agree. Damn cheerleader. Go Mo! You got a great offseason ahead of I you. I believe in you Mo. We got this You Mo. can do this. <laughs> Coming up next the juncture here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. BK, we're going to do things a little differently today for the juncture. We're going to stay in the world of sports, Alex. Uh, we did not approve. Oh, well, this is going to be great for all the people. Go back to sports talk. This is supposed to be a sports station. You think we'll get a text that says the opposite now that we're doing sports? <laughs> go back play. to fun stuff. Yeah, go back to random news. <laughs> I don't know why they sound that way. Uh, all yeah, right. So it's the voice, you know. So I found a couple of pieces of audio that I want to play for the two of you. I have not shared these with you yet. I find them to be very funny. They both took place yesterday. One is a continuation of the conversation that we were just having. Hal Steinbrenner, Alex, yesterday was asked about what's going to change for the Yankees in 2024. I thought his answer, because they're bringing back the same general manager. They're bringing back the same manager. Most of the coaching staff is remaining in place other than their bench coach, who was just hired to be the new manager on the other side of town with the Mets. So what's going to change? The personnel is not going to be all that different. You don't have a ton of flexibility payroll-wise. Your coaching staff is going to be similar. How, how are you changing things, Hal Steinbrenner? Let me give you an, okay, I'll give an example. So one thing that was discussed in August is is bunting. I mean, I think Aaron Boone thinks that we're not 
teaching the young players to bunt enough. Um, what we do in player development is, you know, try to evolve with the game. Bunting is less a part of the game than it was 10 years ago. So yes, a few years ago in player development, we kind of cut back on the bunting skills. But Aaron Boone feels it's becoming a bigger part of the game again. He feels it's important. So we're going we're gonna to start right up again, you know, at the player development level. Awesome. I'm in. Great. Great stuff. So your manager has underperformed with two guys whose sole purpose on this team is they hit the ball out of the stadium. And you said, you know what we need? More bunting skills. Aaron, I understand that there's a guy at second base and there's zero outs and you got power, but I need you to lay down the damn bunt. It is smart to get that guy because to we've got Glaber Torres coming up and he can hit the ball and make contact. He's a fly ball hitter. If he makes contact. Well, well, no, welcome to why I understand Brian Cashman's angry. <laughs> yeah, Cashman probably heard You this. all don't understand. Our analytical department is the second worst in the Major League Baseball. There is a part that's right about this cut, you know. No, they, they, they do undervalue the bunt nowadays, you know. If the Cardinals would learn how to bunt, they'd be better situational hitters. Very true. Because they don't know how to play, play situational baseball, they so how to, are they going to hit in a they situation? They need to get back to Whitey Ball. Do you guys think Atlanta's pretty good? No. No. They didn't. They make lost it, in the first round yeah, of playoffs. Didn't really make it very deep into the postseason. <laughs> I hate you so much. Yeah. You know who did bunt? The Diamondbacks. And damn it, they represented the National they, League. I will say, they led the league in sacrifice yeah, bunts did. this year. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and they went to the World Series. Aaron Moon's on to something. Amazing. I just, li- I just like, I just liked how he started off. He's like, you know, here's an example. You know who was second <laughs> in sacrifice bunts this year? Oh, please say the Texas Pittsburgh. Rangers. Pittsburgh. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, they don't have they don't have hitters. Their their guys are only going through bunting they, props. They probably actually swung at some of those bunts. You know who was second uh, second fewest sacrifice hits this year? Probably the Cardinals. Seattle and Toronto. Fourth was the Dodgers. Fifth was the Rays. Uh, eighth Common was theme. the Yankees, by the way. They're managed by Aaron Boone. Aaron Bleeping Boone. Ninth was Texas. They won the World <laughs> Series. They had how many sacrifice bunts do you think Texas had this year? The entire well, tell 2023. Me, what was the season. leader for the Diamondbacks? What was their number? Uh, the Diamondbacks had 36 sacrifice oh bunts. God, on the year. I'd say the Cardinals had less than the, 10. The I'm going to say the, oh, Rangers. the Rangers. I'll say less than 10. I'll say five. Say five is probably a pretty good number. I'll go a little bit higher. I'll go seven. 10. It was less than 10. <laughs> 10 sacrifice bunts this year. By the way, the Cardinals were middle of the pack with 13. All right, so that's, uh, that's, that's the Yankee side of it. I can't wait to root for the Yankees. Continuing with the trend of old man yells at clouds about the way that baseball is trending now. Let's hear Mad Dog Russo, what he had to say about the Mets' new manager. Who GM this year? Who's the best GM in baseball this year? Chris Young. Did he go to... Uh, he went to Princeton. He is an ex-player. He knows what he's doing. Who did Chris Young hire? Bruce Bochy. How does he manage? By the gut. Who's going to the Hall of Fame? Carlos Mendoza or Bruce Bochy? Who's the best? Who's the top five managers in the history of the sport? Bruce Bochy, who was unemployed for three years because the statistical guiding geeks out there run these teams don't know what they're doing. Picking managers. Wait, hold on. Did Mad Dog Russo want him to hire Bruce Bochy? I'm very concerned by what argument he was making there. Was he just yelling just to yell? Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't think he did anything. Mendoza's not going to the whole thing. Well, yeah, he's not managing Yankees yet. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, he's, he's like 34 years old, man. 
Bochy's I mean, 70. TLR probably wasn't a Hall of Fame manager when he first got hired. <laughs> Come on, Mad Dog. Bruce Bochy, when he was first hired in his 30s, yeah. wasn't a Hall of Fame manager. What are we yelling Tony about? Tony was a player, though. He played. Oh, sorry. Major League Baseball. So, obviously, he is a... But Mendoza yeah, probably but was a player, he didn't too. See that part. <laughs> he went Hall of Famer. Like, Bruce Bochy was a Hall of Famer the moment he got hired. But like, and he basically was just like, yeah, the Mets offseason failed. Why? They didn't hire Bruce Bochy. What? And he's, he's under contract. And then he's got to just throw in there those analytical nerds. Yeah. He threw BK out of the box. He didn't do anything. I just don't understand what he's yelling about, man. I mean, clearly, he wanted them to hire Joe Maddon. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, why the, that's why the Angels said, you or, know, you know, Buck Showalter. Yeah, that's why the Angels said, you know, we need Buck Showalter on our team. <laughs> you know what, Buck? We're Bring sorry we fired Buck. Bring, Bring back Buck. Bring back Buck. Coming up next, is Bama the most interesting team to talk about when it comes to the college football playoff? I they can't believe I just coach. said those words. Next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Yesterday was the reveal of the newest college football playoff rankings. Alex, our beloved Missouri Tigers, did not fall too far in these rankings. Down two spots after their loss on the road at Georgia. They're down to number 14 in the rankings. I'm going to look here, see if maybe Illinois cracked it uh, after their win. They can't even keep talent in state. No, nope, they they did not. They did not crack Typo. the top 25 Typo. this time How around. How about them fighting Illini? Kansas hey, State top drops. Top 25 in basketball. What Give it matters. time. Missouri will join you soon. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Missouri will be there before Missouri you will. Missouri at number 14. They've got number 13, Tennessee, this Saturday. A huge game at Furrow Field. Und- uh, it is sold out, and this is a game that Missouri really needs to win. We'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow. Alex, the top six remained unchanged. <clears throat> Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, Washington, Oregon. Those are your top six teams in the country right now. Now, Ohio State and Michigan are going to play each other here pretty soon in the next few weeks. Washington and Oregon are almost certainly going to play one another once again in the Pac-12 championship game. So that stuff will all be decided there. The team that I find to be the most interesting, most compelling down the stretch is the team that's always in this spot, but typically in the top four by now. It's Alabama, man. They're eight and one on the season and they just had a massive win against LSU. I thought that would be enough to bump them ahead of Texas. But Texas does have that win head-to-head against Alabama. So that ended up carrying the day for Texas in this spot. Alex, is Alabama in the college football playoff if they went out? Their next three games, Kentucky, Chattanooga, Auburn, they don't have an opportunity there for a big win. SEC championship game would be against Georgia. Do you think they would get in if they went out the rest of the way? I don't. I just I think there are better teams than them right now, even if they win out the rest of the way, because we're still talking about Washington, Oregon, Texas. I mean, those three teams in the loan, I don't even think Alabama winning out makes that much of a difference. So, no, I don't think so. I, I, I kind of feel like the SEC now Georgia's proved me wrong. I thought Georgia wasn't that great of a team, and obviously they still are. Georgia's the only real thing out of the SEC that screams playoff contender. Now, maybe people decide to go Alabama because obviously we know how all this goes with the money, but I don't believe that they would be that playoff team if they went out. Yeah, I, it, it is tough because I, I don't know how you keep 
Bama out if they take down Georgia. Because if you're not going to throw Bama into the playoff, you're probably not throwing Georgia into the playoff. Um, so with that being said, I think they went out. I think they're probably in. Because I, at least this is how I expect things to go. I expect Michigan to beat Ohio State and knock Ohio State out of that spot. So now you're down to Georgia-Michigan, Florida State, and then Washington-Oregon kind of in that conversation. If Oregon beats Washington, I think both deserve to be in. And, and I assume Florida State, Florida State, I I, beyond, I don't understand how they're a top-four team right now. I, I don't think they're as good as Washington or as Oregon. But right now they remain in that spot. It is going to be tough to keep Alabama out of the playoff, I think, if they go and run the table. Can I give you the scenario? Sure. This is Alabama's worst-case scenario. Oregon-Washington both run the table until the Pac-12 championship. And then Oregon beats Washington in a close game. At that point, both teams would have one loss on the season, and it was against one another, and they play in what I believe is the best conference in the country. If they end up doing that, I think both have to get in. I don't think you can let one of those two teams slip out of the playoff. One-loss teams, both of them, I think would be ranked ahead of Alabama. The other thing that happens, Michigan wins out the rest of the way. They beat Ohio State head-to-head. Michigan, in that scenario, in the college football playoff, absolutely. From there, Florida State wins out. They went out the rest of the way, and Florida State is already ahead of Alabama. I don't think they would leave out a undefeated Florida State with a win against LSU from the college football playoff. There's your four, man. Michigan, Oregon, Washington, and Florida State. And in this scenario in which Alabama ends up winning out the rest of the way and has that head-to-head win against Georgia, if it's a close game... I wouldn't even be surprised if Georgia is still ranked slightly ahead of Alabama in the rankings because they will have had wins against Kentucky, Missouri, Ole Miss, and Tennessee over the course of the season, whereas Alabama's wins against top 25 teams include Ole Miss, Tennessee, LSU, I guess Georgia at the end of the year, but they will also have that bad loss, quote-unquote bad loss, worse loss, by 10 points earlier this season against Texas. I think there is absolutely a scenario that is not all that crazy to think about where Alabama ends up missing out on the playoff. And the reason why I bring this up, I wonder if this would have happened to Missouri in the same exact scenario. I could have presented the same set of facts, but changed out Missouri for Alabama. And I think Mizzou would have been the one that we would have been talking about here saying, oh boy, there is absolutely a scenario where Missouri ends up missing out on the college football playoff despite running the table. But wouldn't have Mizzou had to beat Georgia twice? Uh, once, and then it would have, would have had to beat Alabama. Oh, so the, Alabama would have been the championship. championship yeah. yeah, I you're don't right. know if they would have ended up in that scenario or not because they would have a big win against Georgia and a big win against Alabama, and they would have a win against um, Tennessee in that scenario, but it's something that would have been considered. We don't have to worry about that now because they lost against Georgia. And so no. None of the rest of it mattered. But a one-loss Alabama team, I'm not sure they get the respect that they would in previous seasons because of how good the uh, Pac-12 has how, been so far. How much does this equation change if LSU has another loss and then falls out of the top 25? Because then you take away a win from Florida State. A, a big a I, big I key just don't win. think you're going to leave out an undefeated Power 5 team. It hasn't happened, and I don't think it will happen. I, I know they, I, I agree with you. I think the college football playoff committee put them in, themselves in a tough spot by putting Florida State at four. Yeah, because I don't think I don't think they're I don't think Florida State's a better team than Michigan, Georgia, Washington, Oregon, or Alabama. I don't think I would take them head to head against those teams. But if they are undefeated, and in that scenario, they would probably have a win at the end of the season. I believe in the ACC championship game against Louisville. If Louisville keeps winning. 
um, that will give them another quality victory on their resume in that scenario. I I would be shocked, genuinely shocked, if any undefeated team is left out, whoever that ends up being from the Power Five. Even though their resume is weak, we've seen this in the past with other ACC teams where Clemson ends up getting into the college football playoff. Now, they have more history of being great in previous iterations of their, their program than what Florida State does, but I, I think FSU would end up getting in, even though the LSU game, which was once seen as this incredibly uh, important victory for them, it, it would lose its luster compared to what we previously expected it to be. Is this season, by the way, teaching us that the college football playoff expansion should have been eight instead of 12? T-Bone? Mr. Complainer? Well, how'd you know I was talking to you? Because you pointed. Oh. And you <laughs> knew I was right. Damn my handle, Hillinguich. Yeah, I. it definitely should be eight because I look at like nine through 12 and like, look, I'm not saying these are aren't they're not bad teams like Ole Miss, Penn State, Louisville, Oregon State. Those are really good teams and they're fun. Do I care to watch them get shellacked in the first round of a college football playoff on the road? No, 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 no. no, no, no. It, it feels well, like Missouri. Missouri's going to get up there. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, yeah, well, no, Missouri's competitive. But no, I'd I, be into that. I, 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 Illinois I look at this. Be and I, no, <laughs> we'd be fighting for relegation if that was a thing. <laughs> um, I. Uh, I look at the playoff, and I think if you expand, or when they expand to 12, I think we're going to look at a lot of the first-round matchups and go, okay, they're fun, but it's like, you know, when we get the wild card around the NFL, where there's a couple teams that you look at and you go, ugh, I know I'm going to watch this game, but I'm not really thrilled that I'm going to watch this yep. game. And that's what Last it feels year's like. wild card round in the NFL yeah, was exactly, exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yes, and I think you're going to get that. And though those are still good teams, they're going up against great teams. And usually the great team definitely comes away. And sometimes they end up blowing that team out of the water. Georgia TCU in the national championship game of last year is a full reminder of that. I just don't know. Like, I'm a Mizzou guy. You guys know this through and through. And don't get me wrong. I would love to see Missouri play in the college football playoff this season if they end up winning out the rest of the way. That being said, would Missouri be deserving of a college football playoff bid if they finished this season 10-2 and two and lost both of their biggest tests against LSU and Georgia? No. God, Let's no. be honest. No. And yet, they uh, would probably end up in the top 12 in the rankings if that is what happens. Because they will have, soon, a win potentially against number 13, Tennessee. That will help them rise up the ranks. Some of the teams that are in front of them, including Penn State and Ole Miss, have games against top-ranked opponents remaining on their schedule. Missouri will probably pass one or both of them. Oregon State has some tough tests remaining on its schedule as well. I don't think they're going to finish the year with just two losses. And even if they do end up winning one of those games, well, it would potentially have other teams that are ranked ahead of them currently dropping down. Missouri, if they went out, would very likely finish in the top 12 this season. I think that tells you what you need to know about the college football playoff. Missouri is kind of indicative of where things are right now. I think eight was the right number. Eight is where Alabama is. That would allow, like, if Ole Miss ends up getting a win this weekend against Georgia, they would be more than deserving of getting into the college football playoff conversation um, because of the quality of the victories that they have on their schedule. Penn State, if they end up running the table the rest of the, the way, more than deserving of getting into the college football playoff based on the resume that they would then be able to build. Oregon State, if they run the table the rest of the way, more than deserving. I don't know that I could say the same thing about Mizzou, man. I, I just don't feel that way this year. I think we're going to end up looking back and saying 12 is too many. It was four too many teams. Eight is the exact right amount, and I think they expanded a little too far. And, and again, a lot of those regular season games lose some of their luster. Like Missouri-Tennessee would have a lot more luster this weekend, but Missouri-Georgia would not have had as much luster last yeah. weekend because that, that was the game that not only did it determine, not only was it the last hope for Mizzou to potentially keep their playoff hope alive, 
it also was the hope for Georgia to get into the SEC championship game. Mm-hmm. Georgia loses that game, they're done. Their, their college football playoff hopes are done because they're not getting to the SEC championship game, more than likely, assuming Mizzou then wins out. Their path is just over. You have 12 teams, honestly, even an 18 playoff, and this is why I would stick with four. Last week's that game just doesn't matter as much. It didn't matter at all. If last week's exactly, game, yeah. if there was a 12-team playoff, it meant nothing for either team. Because both teams could end up losing that game, whichever way it ended up going, and have everything still on the table. Missouri could this week go into its home stadium and beat Tennessee, and they're right back into the top 12. That's it. Just take care of business, and you're still totally fine. And then the bigger games on Missouri's schedule just mean so much less. It, it The stakes are not nearly as high. Yeah. It matters because you want to beat Georgia. But the stakes just aren't the yeah. same as they were you previously. Have two- Georgia or Ohio State versus Michigan would totally lose everything that it currently has at stake yeah. when that game is going to be played later on this year. You got, what would you say, two games of wiggle room? You can get two losses and still find your way in. Now your wiggle room, like we're talking about a one-loss Alabama team that may not have any more wiggle room. That just doesn't have the same luster. He's Tanner Hendrickson. That is Alex Ferrario, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex is arguing with the text line right now with somebody being upset about it's just it. just a big jerk, you know? Just a big jerk. Ah, oh, he's still your lunch money. No, it's just, it's not fun, you know? It's not, it's not nice. It's not nice to make fun of people. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll be joined by Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, talk about Robert Thomas' goal production that we've seen from him this year, what went wrong for the Blues in the second period last night, and what's he think about Scott Perunovich getting a real opportunity this time around, being on the second power play unit for the Blues in their game against the Coyotes tomorrow night. We'll talk about all of that with, with Chris Kerber coming up in about 15 minutes, but coming up next, for all the talk about Dylan Cease as the top trade target for the Cardinals, it sure seems like this team is more connected to Tyler Glass now and Logan Gilbert. What does yes. that mean for the team? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. and T-Bone on BK. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll be joined by the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, here on 101 ESPN. He joins us each and every Wednesday here on the show. And Alex, it feels like each and every day we're talking about one of the trade targets for the Cardinals. And when we do so, Dylan Cease is probably the first name that comes up. He's the pitcher for the Chicago White Sox, who a year ago was the Cy Young winner. This guy is incredibly talented. And his stuff stayed right at the same place as it was a year ago, really, this year. But the results weren't as good. The ERA went up. It's kind of the conversation that we've been having about Aaron Nola, where you wonder, okay, was this a one-off? Or is this something where he's just, it was a one-off when he won the Cy Young? Which which one is more real for Dylan Cease? Well, as much as we talk about Dylan Cease, there was a quote the other day, I think it was Bob Nightingale, who said that, The White Sox are not shopping him, but they're listening to offers, which sounded a lot like some of the stuff that you hear about almost every player in Major League Baseball. I have no idea if he's going to get moved or not this year. The two guys, though, that it does feel like there's been real connection with the Cardinals so far this offseason, one being maybe more so even than the other. I think Tyler Glass now is like one of the top options for the Cardinals going into the offseason. I think they would love to add him. And it just becomes a question of can they work out a deal with the Rays that makes sense for both sides? I think he feels like the top trade target, if you will. And I think the other one is the guy that you've been mentioning, Alex. It's Logan Gilbert. 
if Logan Gilbert yeah. becomes available from the Seattle Mariners, I think he is one of the top options for the Cardinals as well. We talk a lot about Cease. I think those other two guys feel more likely for the Cardinals this offseason. Yeah, I I don't buy into the Dylan Cease thing getting traded because if you're not shopping, if you're listening, basically that means you need to be blown away by the offer, which the Cardinals don't have the ability to do. So I'd cross him off unless something crazy happens. The Logan Gilbert, as much as I, I believe that they're going to shop him and make a move and he'd be the one that you'd trade, I still think they're in the blow-away department. And I'm not sure you have the pieces for that one either because the, the, the report that came out is they're looking for contact guys and T-Bone said it's from the right side, which, I mean, Cardinals have outfielders, but I don't know if it's so anything that gets Gilbert. They did say that, but I do wonder, like, if you can get a really good offer for Logan Gilbert, you might take it, and here's the reason why. Luis Castillo, George Kirby, Bryce Miller, Robbie Ray, Brian Wu. That's their rotation next year if they don't have Logan Gilbert. That's pretty freaking good, man. And potentially going to the market and spending money like they've talked about. Exactly. That's a lot of options for you inside of that rotation. That's five legitimate like top-end starters that you have coming back next year without including Logan Gilbert into that mix. So if you can trade Logan Gilbert and then I either go sign or trade for a right-handed contact hitter, which is always available. You can find those guys on the market for like six, seven, eight million bucks if you really wanted to. And I can go to the trade market and trade for Nolan Gorman, who brings big time lefty power to my lineup. Yeah, that's something that I'm interested in. Yeah. If I'm the Seattle Mariners, I'm I'm able to walk and chew gum at the same time. So I... I do think they are at least an option for the Cardinals. And I think they are more likely now than they were at the deadline because now you've got Robbie Ray getting ready to come back from injury. And I feel like the Cardinals are going to be more willing to move a Nolan Gorman because this is how they save money to get a cheap cost-controlled pitcher who slots in as a number two. Uh, But I do always go back to the Tyler Glass now because T-Bone said it right. I mean, this is the prototypical Cardinals move of a guy who is basically going to be gifted to you via trade. You don't have to give up a lot, and they're probably going to be willing to eat some of the money because it just hasn't gone well. My only pushback, well, two pushbacks with this is, one, I'm not sure how comfortable John Mozeliak is dealing with the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, he's never been from before. Yeah, you're right, from past. they got to be prudent with their decisions. Short memory. But also, are you really fixing your problem? Because as great as Glass now is, you're not getting a lot of innings from him, and he's a free agent after this year. So are you just for the cliche saying kicking the can down the road for you to be doing this again next year. Maybe, but you also are getting in the scenario where you're trading for glass. Now I would assume you're also adding a, a guy at the front end of your rotation. So next year you would still have call it Noah at the front end. Michaelis. I know people don't love him right now, but that's somebody that would at least be in the rotation. You would still have mats. You let's assume one of the young guys ends up being good enough to be a number five starter. And now next year you're going to the marketplace again. And instead of getting three starters, you need one, which is a more than reasonable place to be as a, as a team. In fact, I think it's good to transition one spot in your rotation year over year. I think it's good to have that kind of churn that takes place within a team. I I think if for no other reason than to get new personalities inside of the clubhouse. So I don't have a problem at all with them trading for glass now and then, waiting out the year, seeing if he's worth it, and then qualifying off for him, get the draft pick that you get in turn if he ends up walking elsewhere, or maybe he accepts it, and you've got a one-year $20 million offer again for Tyler Glass now. So I I don't have a problem with that, honestly. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with it. I just can't remember the last time the Cardinals did that kind of move. And Hayward. maybe 
Well, I meant pitching. I'm sorry, I meant pitching. Hayward, yeah, on offense, but pitching wise, like the last name I can think of, like on the trade market in the offseason, what? Or he wasn't in offseason. I guess it was Lackey. Lackey was in season. Montgomery. He had another year of control. Montgomery had another year of control. But they traded for him at the deadline, and then you yeah. had one year of control, really, where you were able yeah. to keep him. So I, but I think they like some control. Like, sure, and they that's why it, but you also have to pay for it. Agreed, and and that's why like I, I just don't know. Like I love the idea of Glassdown. I just think they want someone with control. I, I think they want somebody that is, whether it's in the arbitration process like Cease or it's someone that's in pre-arb, like uh, the guys we've talked about, Clark Schmidt as the number four, or if they do go higher and go for Logan Gilbert. Like I think they want someone that is going to be the front end of the rotation and leads the front end of the rotation for years to come. But, I, again, I like your idea of trading for glass now, see how it goes. Again, I don't think you're going to have to pay the full $25 million salary. Um, and then you can qualify and offer him, or you can give him a contract extension if he ends up working out too. Those are all the scenarios that should be playing in their head if they acquire Tyler Glass now. Somebody on the text line said, guys, are there actual reports that are suggesting that uh, the Cardinals are interested in these two players, or are you just speculating here? So this comes from Derek Gould, who wrote about it earlier today. By the way, you should read his full piece over in the uh, St. Louis Post-Dispatch or at STL Today. Uh, it, it goes through... A great rundown of Yamamoto, what the situation is with the Cardinals and him, what their connection is with him that goes beyond just Lars Nupar. It's his agent. It's uh, Lars Nupar, who was his teammate. It's a scout that they have over there. They've got a lot of connections to Yamamoto, and they're hoping that that'll help them in that regard. But it, it's beyond just that. It also talks about who their other options could be. He writes this, when it comes to the cost of starting pitchers, there are four tiers this winter. There are the pitchers like Aaron Nola and Sonny Gray who come attached to a qualifying offer and would cost the Cardinals a draft pick. The Cardinals assign a draft pick a dollar value and consider that as part of the cost of signing the player. Then there are pitchers who would come without the qualifying offer attached and exclusively cost cash. Somebody like a Jordan Montgomery would fit into that criteria. There are also trade possibilities, quote, such as Seattle's Logan Gilbert or Tampa Bay's Tyler Glass now that would uh, demand talent in return. And then there's the possibility of the posting process for Yamamoto. I think that's a good way to break it down of the different buckets that you could be shopping in, depending on what is attached to them and what it would require. Derek Gould also said in his chat the other day, the following. If and when the Tampa Bay Rays entertain offers for Tyler Glass now, the Cardinals plan to be involved in those talks to see if they could make a trade happen. He then continued, Dylan Cease appeals to them, and as previously reported in the Post-Dispatch, Logan Gilbert is of interest to the Cardinals, but the price remains high for him. So, yeah, there are legitimate reporting that has been done that does connect the Cardinals to these three pitchers, especially Tyler Glasnow. I think Glasnow is the one that I see them connected to most often. Yeah, personally. agreed. I, I think Glasnow, I don't know if I'd say he's their number one target, but he's probably the most likely target, if that makes sense, to where it probably is a little too much for them in the Logan Gilbert sweepstakes, maybe a little too much in the C sweepstakes, and they go, okay, we can get a guy that's got those guys' stuff, but cheaper in terms of what we've got to send in Glasnow because he's just a rental, essentially. Yeah, I'll, I'll be curious to see what they decide to do. If you guys had to... Pick one. We talked about this a little bit earlier today. If you had to pick the front-end starter, but you skimp on the number five, or the depth, but you don't get a number one, which side of that would you rather have? I would go the front-end starter and skimp on the number five. Uh, I'll figure out the number five, and by trade deadline time, if I need one more pitcher, I make a trade. But uh, if you don't have a number one and try and get by with Miles Michaelis and two other guys that are 
you know, you squint hard enough, maybe they get to be number two, you're in the same position you were in last year. I, I would say I would put the money in on the number one and skip on the five. And it's two reasons for me. One, I think you can always find that number five on the trade market at the deadline. I mean, Michael Lorenzen got dealt to the Phillies to help solidify the rotation at this year's trade deadline. And number two for me, I know that they would say, well, part of the reason we struggled this year and had some losing streaks was because we didn't have depth starters. I don't think a lot of teams have a ton of depth in their system. I think part of the reason you struggled and couldn't snap losing streaks, one, you didn't have enough pitching, of course, but two, you didn't have that guy that could go out there and stop a losing streak. And that's what you need this offseason. Somebody said, guys, as the Seattle GM reversed course from three months ago, I thought you mentioned that they weren't trading from their pitching because that's their identity. Uh, maybe because Robbie Ray is now potentially well, I was going to be say, available for them. That, and, that's the change that has taken place in the last three months. And you always change in three months because at the trade deadline, teams aren't willing to trade Nolan Gorman compared to the offseason when teams are more willing to trade Nolan and Gorman. the Mariners were contending then. If you traded Logan Gilbert, you can't replace him yeah. at the trade deadline. For a now, position player. if you were the Mariners and you get, let's say they end up with Nolan Gorman in return, um, you suddenly now can either go back to the market and replace Logan Gilbert in your rotation, or now that there's been more time that's progressed, Robbie Ray might be able to just take that spot into the rotation next year. And Robbie Ray's a pretty good pitcher. Uh, well, the last time that we saw him, of course, there are question marks there with how he's going to return from injury. Coming up next, Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for Curbside with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. Brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite Contractor. I'm BK. Happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by the voice of the blues. He's Chris Kerber joining us here on the show as he does each and every Wednesday. Kerbs, how you doing today, man? BK, I'm doing fine. How are you today? Uh, doing all right. So I want to talk a little bit before we get to the changes that we saw at Morning Skate earlier today about the game that we witnessed last night, Kerbs. First period looked great. What happened in the second period in your mind? I think... You know, second periods are different periods at time to time because you've got the long changes. Uh, the, your line changes can be a little more discombobulated because you, you can't necessarily get a quick change if the puck is at the other team's blue line uh, b- because you'll already be behind the play in some cases. So I think puck play, possession, puck play, uh, decisions with the puck, the, everything that goes that, that you hear the quick movement, the accurate movement, the tape-to-tape passing, all those kind of things that allow for quicker play, it started to unravel. And what Winnipeg built in the first period uh, after the after the sod penalty and then the power play goal, they carried it into the second. And, you know, there's a, a certain level of, I don't know if it's mental toughness, I don't know if it's belief in the ability yet to be able to come from behind when you're chasing a game. And and in this case, I think it snowballed against the team a little bit, especially in the second period. Curbs, watching that top line for Winnipeg, and look, Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor, incredible players, and Alex Iofalo add some chemistry for those two. Do you feel like the line chemistry is in place for the Blues, or are they still searching for something to click? Well, we weren't talking about this with the two previous games, right? Correct. You know, so it's... 
from one game to the next, that type of snapshot can be a very hard thing to to almost predict or see. I, I really learned over the years that when it comes to line chemistry, things like that, I think you've got to look at five, seven, ten game you know, windows for a line uh, to be able to build it. Uh, in the end, I think, though, more to your point, Alex, of, of, of maybe not just line chemistry, but line challenges is the fact that that matchup of Robert Thomas's line against Mark Shifley's line didn't work out really well in that game. And whether it was they couldn't get away from it because of how bonus was making changes or, or, you know, Craig Berube just kind of said, Hey, look, we've got to get these guys used to this and we're sticking with them longer. But by the time they kind of made some switches in the third period, uh, the game, because of that early goal in the third period got away from them. So I, I look at, I know this is hard for fans to accept to some degree, but I think if you look at where the Blues are real honest about with what they were going to do with the changes from last year into this year, you know, I'm I'm really just kind of looking game to game and seeing progression. And I think in some areas you see good progression, in other areas it's slower. But um, that was a challenging game for uh, the Blues' top line from a defensive standpoint, and I think you're still going to see games like that over the course of this year. On the offensive side of things, though, Curbs, Robert Thomas now has a goal in four straight games. He is shooting the puck unlike anything we've seen from him in his career. He's on pace this year. I think it's for 160 shots on goal. He had 220 over the last two years combined. If this ends up holding true, if, if Robert Thomas is going to continue shooting it and he's a 25 to 30 goal scorer. What does that mean for his progression here in St. Louis curbs? Well, it's going to make him even better, especially as he, you know, as he plays with, you know, potential wingers coming in, you know, or some guys with maybe some different skill sets, um, you know, that, that could even take advantage of it. You know, who knows what, what, what does a Dvorsky look like if Thomas is passing him the puck? Um, you know, who knows so that, that type of thing. And I realize that's all a year or two down the road, but in terms of Robert's pro- progression, you know, you're talking about a player that five years ago was playing 11, 12 minutes on a third line role between Bozak and Maroon starts to move up sometimes centering Braden Shen, Cairo, you know, on, on different lines, Butch Navich, that kind of stuff. But, uh, and now it's Kapanen, uh that, that was up there. You're seeing a player that, from a face-off standpoint, began his career in the high 40s. This season is up to 53. You know, last season was right below 53, so continued progression there. Uh, th- there's so many good positives with the progression of Robert Thomas, and these things do take time uh, as, as you go along. But if his shot becomes something he really gets confident in, and sometimes he might just have to shoot because that's the way this team is going to be built this year, but if that builds confidence – the more he shoots and the more go in, the more teams are going to have to play his shot. If they play his shot, that's going to open up a whole world for his ability to pass the puck. I think, I think you've got to be very encouraged by that. Curbs, speaking of progression, Scott Perunovich, it seems like he's going to be playing tomorrow. Craig Berube said we'll see, but Perunovich at least confirmed that he's playing tomorrow. Can he show the coaching staff what is needed to get some more consistent playing time as a third-pairing defenseman? In one game, no, in my opinion. Um, I, I just uh, – it, it's, it's such a hard thing to do, guys. You, you're going in there, you haven't you, – you're in the lineup, you're out of the lineup. It's a very difficult thing to do. It's one, it's one of the, 
and, and it doesn't matter the sport. I mean, it really, truly doesn't matter the sport. Young player comes in, they don't get certain playing times. You've got to figure out how to deal with that in your career. In his case, he was dealing with injuries over the last couple of years, right? So it, for him, it's just a matter of getting in there, getting more comfortable. And for his sake, just make the smart, simple plays that the coaches know you can rely on. Use what you know are your skills. His ability to move the puck, that first pass out of the zone. If he's got to eat it in the corner, which he will from time to time, don't eat it long, get it moving. Use your skating, that kind of thing. And you're going to see mistakes. You're going to see some hiccups. This game is coming at you fast, and this is a fast Arizona team, you know, to, to try to deal with there. So, in my opinion, can he do it in one game? I, I just think that that would be unfair to ask. You know, over a stretch of games, you finally start to see, you know, what you have. And, and I've, I've told you guys this, this example, and I don't know if it's apples to apples or maybe green apples to red apples, or, you know, maybe it's apples to oranges. I'm not sure. Okay? But – Ian Cole was in a situation where he was used by Ken Hitchcock and then not. And if he made a mistake, he'd get benched by Ken Hitchcock. And, and over time, he really began to doubt himself. And he was going out there to not make mistakes. And I talked to him a lot about this. And, and it was very hard for him. Well, look what happened when he got with Pittsburgh and was able just to get in there and go and, and, and finally get, get that confidence in there. And it was 25 minutes a game, part of back-to-back Stanley Cup championships. Young players just got to get reps, whether it's Tucker, whether it's Perunovic, whether it's Thomas, Kairu, you know, we'll see it soon with Snuggerud, maybe Dvorsky, all these guys. Young players have to get reps, and that's, that's when you know over time. And Al McKinnis told me, guys, uh, at, at one point in time, he goes, he, he really believes it takes for a defenseman 300 or so games in the National Hockey League to really know what you have. Curbs, we appreciate the time as always, my friend. We'll be looking forward to hearing you on the call tomorrow night against the Arizona Coyotes as the Blues finish out this homestand. Hopefully that one goes a little better than it did last night. We'll be listening. We'll be watching. We'll talk with you again soon, my friend. All right, guys, you got it. And, hey, uh, congratulations to, to you know my partner, Joe Vitale. Uh, tomorrow night he's being inducted into the Northeastern Athletic Hall of Fame. So that's quite an honor for a kid that grew up in St. Louis, I think. Uh, so, Great honor for him, Brianna. I know his mom and dad are traveling up there for it, too. So uh, congratulations to Joey, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, seeing the highlights of that induction ceremony. Absolutely. We'll talk to him about that a little bit tomorrow when he joins us here on the show as well. Curbs, be good, man. We'll talk with you again soon. Cheers, guys. Have a great week. That's Chris Kerber, voice of the blues, joining us here on 101 ESPN as he does each and every Wednesday. So when he talked about Perunovic there, I mean, that's why I'd like to see some sustained play for him. I mean, if you're going to get to that point, even if it doesn't look the greatest tomorrow night, maybe give it three games to see if you see progression there. And I understand them waiting as long as they did because he's only played 19 games leading up to this season. So uh, it's not like this guy has been able to show you that he needs to be in the lineup because he's been injured. Uh, But if we're talking 200 or 300 games that Al McKinnis has talked about, I mean, the guy got 21 under his belt through two seasons. So give it a little sustained time. Let's see if you could get some more offense from it. I mean, frankly, that's what's going to come from Scott Perunovic getting more playing time if you see offense with him on the line. But the other thing I wanted to mention that Curbs was talking about with that line chemistry, you know, the one thing that, and he's right, you got to give it about five to eight games before you can see if that line's got chemistry. The Winnipeg Jets, that Connor Iafalo and Kyle Connor or uh, Mark Shifley line, uh, they've played in eight of the 12 games that Winnipeg has played so far this season. And some of that has been injuries or being in and out of the lineup. 
but I mean, this is what it looks like once you get eight games together and you know it's working. They stay together consistently. How long do they hold these lines together? We'll have to wait to find out. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind with a question that was posed by Scott Boris. Should Major League Baseball go to a neutral site for the World Series? I'm guessing there's going to be some very oh, interesting Tanner's going to get angry right here what? on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. into the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. And if you missed anything from today's show, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. And the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. While you're there, you can also check out our YouTube page, youtube.com slash 101ESPNSTL. Our studio cams are powered by the Air Alliance team. You can go back and rewatch the entire show after every single day. And you can go back to individual segments, oh, watch man. our faces, everything over there. Watch our face. You could zoom in on our faces. Zoom I don't in think on you can actually do that. I'm See his sure mustache coming back. I don't think you can do that. Speaking of mustaches, what it's the gone. hell, man? It's gone. What the hell? It's just growing my back. We're going to Austin. I'm Thank sure there will be pictures mustache, that are Mustaches taken. are preferred in Texas. Yeah, that's just the whole thing. Everything's bigger down there. Including mustaches. Yeah. BK's nose and Adam's apples is, Whoa! You'll fit right in. Sorry. All right, so uh, final thing that I wanted to get to here. Bob Nightingale tweeted this out. Scott Boris did his annual meeting with uh, the Associated Press, or the Assembled Press, rather. Oh, good. Down in Arizona, which <laughs> means he told you all about Jordan Montgomery and uh, all of his other clients that he's got that are hitting the market this offseason. I'm sure you'll see all the puns. Alex should love these on Twitter over Can't the course wait. of the day. I'll have them tomorrow for you. He also said something that I think is going to become a conversation sooner rather than later for Major League Baseball. It's been kind of discussed in the past, but if I know anything about Rob Manfred, I know he's all about the money, and this is something that would potentially bring in some more money. Scott Boer said he wants to move the World Series to a neutral site and to have the amateur draft moved away from the All-Star weekend. Now, I don't care about the amateur amateur draft thing. If you want to move the date on that, whatever. I, I have no problem with that whatsoever. I don't want them to go to a neutral site for the World Series, Alex. Why would you? Money. Because you could get it sponsored. It would be a big event. It becomes a destination thing. Like, I'm just giving you their explanation no, I again. Know, but I don't want Yeah, you're to doing do it like this. the Super Bowl, but, like, Correct. that's one night. This is, like, two weeks if it right. goes seven games. And it would become very corporate. That, that's what yeah, would happen. That, is instead of it, just like the Super Bowl, instead of it being the fans of the team yeah. that end up going to these games, man, that's terrible. It becomes like if it's held in Dallas, I would assume it's probably going to be one of the places that they would want to hold this because it's a big stadium. Um, I, it, it ends up becoming a lot of corporate places that would fly in all of their clients down to Dallas or have clients that are in Dallas that would be able to attend the game. I I, I, hate I think that. it would become a very stale environment as opposed to what we saw for example in philadelphia which was awesome that scene was so cool atlanta super into it like those fans could not have minnesota was an outstanding environment for those games as well you lose all of that 
if you make this into a neutral site thing. So I, I hope baseball doesn't do it. It's a losing battle because I'm battling against money and money's always going to win. But I hope they can hold this off for as long as humanly possible. I mean, you talk about deteriorating the product. This is how you do it. I mean, you take away from the fan bases that enjoy those World Series games. You're forcing people to travel. Like, I get all the money. Great, great. But I'm, it's just, just it, it takes away the excitement of it. You know, like, yeah, this is I don't typically get on board with stuff like this. But, yeah, this is awful. And baseball's a regionalized sport. You know, it's not football. It's not the Super it's Bowl not, where everyone's watching. Yeah, it's not It's not the NBA, which is a national sport. You know, I, I can understand the NBA wanted to do this, and I still wouldn't support that idea. Hell, I would like the Super Bowl to be held at the home team's Agreed. football stadium because that would be awesome. But I, baseball is a regionalized sport. They, they shouldn't do this. I hope they don't do this. Hell, I'd be honest. I don't know if I'd watch the World Series if they did this. You Even would. if you not if my not if my team's not in it. Like I like it now because you get the cool atmosphere. I mean, it you wouldn't like be the same. You'd watch. No, you want. Hey, you He's know I you have my you principles. You, you'd watch. I would not watch. I don't watch the play-in tournament. I don't watch the stupid in-season tournament that the NBA does. He doesn't watch the preseason. That, that's not the same thing at all. Spring training. I don't care. I don't care. I, if I put my mind, I'm not watching this. I'll watch something else. You put your foot down, damn it. I'd rather watch BK do a bacon show than watch a World Series at a neutral site. That'd be good. Uh, you know that the college football playoff is played on a neutral site, right? And I don't yeah, watch I that either. And the but Super Bowl is played football, at a neutral site. Football is a different, different again. It's a national sport. The NCAA game. tournament is played at a neutral site. All right, we're not going to the tournament anymore. <laughs> I'm not telling you that they should do this, but you Why say do that you you're ruin watch everything. God, you're Why the worst. Why are you the way that you are? You're, you're so, What's that guy from the office? Toby, you are absolutely you are so Toby. Toby. You suck. God, Ugh. just get out of here, man. The funny Let's thing get is, to the fast lane. I actually agree I like with T-Bone, guys. and I still had to say, but look, you're wrong. Look how angry T-Bone <laughs> is getting. Get He's red. Let's get to the fast red. lane. I like those guys. You know guys. that scene where Toby like inserts his opinion and then just looks at Michael and is like, I'll leave. That's the moment you should have just had right now. It's your job. You have to watch, I'll leave. Man. I quit. Fast lane's next. <laughs> You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.